Football Podcast. What is up, fantasy people? This is Travis Seal, and you're back with the True North Fantasy Pod. Uh, we are fresh out of the frying pan, and we are back into the fire, tie. It's been a couple weeks. Felt like kicking it off with a little bang there. So how you doing today, my man? Yeah, I'm doing good. You know, June is in the air. I'm just happy to be back recording with my good buddy, Trav. Uh, how's everything on your end? It's doing good, man. It's doing really, really good. We had a nice weekend, uh, spent some time with the family. Things are easing up on the COVID front a little bit. So we've expanded our circle, so to say. So I got to see my mom, had my dad over for a barbecue. They got to meet the little guy. So yeah, it's been nice getting back to some semblance of normal, eh? Yeah, definitely north of the border we are for sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, Ty. So on this episode, we're going to be talking about the wide receiver landscape. We're going to we're going to take some players whose situations have experienced a little bit of a change over the past couple months. Um, some guys that we maybe project would have projected differently previous to uh, the draft or some free agent signings and whatnot. So we're gonna we're gonna dive in there and we're gonna break down some of those guys. And I know you got some of them fat stats, and that's fat with a ph. So uh, you fired up to get into this one. I am, yeah. I think these are the kind of guys that not necessarily win people leagues, but they're definitely contributing factors to winning your league. Getting these kind of ambiguous situations right and sorting through them is, that's the way we win leagues for sure. So I, I'm really excited to get into some of these guys because I do have strong, strong opinions on some of these players. And some of them are definitely values in our in our drafts right now. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be fun fun to talk wideouts because uh, I think, you know, a lot of our leagues are three wide receiver leagues. So when we want to fill that wide receiver three spot, uh, maybe a surprise wide receiver two guy, this is kind of the episode that those guys want to listen to. So uh, real quick before we start, Ty, I just want to show a little love to some people that we've connected with. Um, recently, I was on the British Ballers podcast and I talked to uh, Kevin Rich on, on that pod there. You can follow them at British underscore Ballers um, and check those guys out because they're great guys on Twitter. But they, uh, they had me on to talk some rookies versus vets, and, and we had a good time, so I wanted to give them a shout-out there. They're part of the uh, Astronauts crew. And then secondly, I just wanted to mention something that True North has, uh, is going to be a part of, and that's this Discord chat made by uh, a gentleman that goes by Space Ghost Force. Uh, you can follow him at SGF, lowercase x, FF chat. And then the chat itself is at ffchat underscore discord. So this is a big discord server that he that he built and we've got a feed on there and you can check out all of our content to kind of automatically post. He's got it really nicely set up there, really organized chats and discussion. And uh, yeah, so True North has jumped on as a sponsor for that. And we're super excited. They've got things like AMAs where, um, you know, we could go on and we could answer a bunch of questions live. They've got contests going on. And then they've got these really cool league tournaments that they run that they just uh, just put the invite out for. So I encourage any of our listeners to go over there and sign up for those leagues. And there's going to be prizes and lots of giveaways and stuff throughout the season. So, uh, yeah, just want our listeners to know that we're going to be a sponsor there and they can go check that out. I'll post a link actually after this to uh, to the chat so people can get in there and start uh, start talking fantasy football. Yeah, I think that's such a cool idea. And the British bowlers, those guys are a really solid group of dudes. Yeah, for sure. I had a good time chatting with them, definitely. So, uh, Ty, do you want to uh, get us into these wide receivers that we're going to talk about? Because I don't think we should waste any more time. 
Yeah, let's do it. So the first group of guys we're going to kind of hit together, I guess we'll do that with a few groups uh, that we go through tonight. So Devontae Parker and Preston Williams. Let's talk about these Miami Dolphin wide receivers. I think both are in line for upticks in the long term. And the worst case scenario in the short term is they have Fitzmagic throwing the ball to them, which is, you know, that's fine and better than fine. It was life changing for Devontae Parker. It was the missing link in his career. And I think the really tricky part, though, is with this whole offense, and we could even include Mike Gesicki here, but the splits. Parker crushed the back half of the season last year. I guess a very difficult strength of schedule, lighting up guys like Tredavious White and Stephon Gilmore. But the fact remains, Trav, you know, Devontae Parker became a stud not after just four full failed years, but after half a season where Preston Williams was there as well. And Mike Gesicki breaking out, that happened only once P. Willie was gone too. So... Uh, what I want to ask you, Trav, is what do you what do you think of so far as this offense? How do you think it plays out? And do you think we have to account for a lot more factors than we do last year? Do you think Devontae Parker sort of benefited from an opportunity-driven season when we look back on it? Yeah, I definitely think he benefited from a whole bunch of different events last year. They had pretty much nothing in the run game as far as rushing or pass catching. And then when you look at um, Preston Williams going down, Preston Williams was looking really good before that injury as well. So I definitely think last year was kind of a, a big confluence of events for Devontae Parker. And going into this year, I think, you know, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is good for Devontae Parker. Obviously, last year showed that. Uh, and I think going into 2020, I think that's kind of best case Ontario for Parker is for Fitzmagic to see some ex extended time. But I don't think Tua would be so bad for Devontae Parker either. So I don't know. It's really tricky because that Preston Williams injury, if that lingers, um, which it, it could definitely do, I think Devontae Parker could put up some good numbers, especially early season. Um, Preston Williams, I'm not so, so sure, but I, I like Parker as a bit of a later round guy if you can get him there. Yeah, I think one thing we have to consider is, you know, we have to expect Breida and Howard, these two running backs who came in to command close to half the offense now. Like, a lot of people want to argue between the two wide receivers, but the run game is what we have to account for, I think, in 2020. If that's going too far, saying that they should command half the offense, at the very least, we can say Ryan Fitzpatrick won't lead the Dolphins in rushing last year, uh, <laughs> next year, which he did last year, of course. He was the oldest player in NFL history to lead his team in rushing. He was 37 years old last year. Eat your heart out, Frank Gore. Um, anyways, if people are over all of that, like if they can move past all that, if they're still willing to attach to a situation that could see a change at quarterback, like you mentioned, and a team who likely loses 10 games, I think we still do have to ask like, what's up with these wideouts? Because like, is Devonte Parker a sustainable top 20 wide receiver for fantasy? He was last year for half a season, but he wasn't for four straight years before that. And on the other end of that first round capital sunk, you have Preston Williams, right? A UDFA, mm -hmm. but he looked like he has all the talent in the world and was kind enough to flash it before his fifth season in the league. So, Trav, do, do, I want to ask you, do you think this is a stellar receiving trio if we add in Mike Gesicki? Because I'm hearing that, but I've also heard the other side of it. Do you think there's somewhat of a land of misfit toys, all of whom have questions and concerns? Like, where are you on this group as a, as an offensive unit? Yeah, I think, I think they're a mid-tier offensive unit. Like, they don't have... They don't have that. It's like elite. good, but fragile, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's, you can see some positives there, but it's hard to see them being, you know, one of the top 10 offenses in the league, unless they're playing from behind a lot and they're like just throwing the ball like 50 plus times a game. But hopefully for them, they're not doing that, but I think they're probably going to play from behind. So it's, it's hard to say because you could see Ryan Fitzpatrick go out in there and blow it up, or you could see him tank it. 
And then we don't really know with Tua, right? So there's a lot of unknowns that, like you said, make it a little bit fragile. So I'm not investing heavily, but if I can get some discounts like Preston Williams, I think he's a really good value, especially in a dynasty league. Um, I'm loving Mike Gesicki because he's still not being drafted as, you know, like a top 10 tight end. So I like those two, but Devontae Parker, I mentioned that he'd be nice to get a little later. I don't think as the season approaches, you're going to be able to get him as late as I would want to get him. So it's tricky. It's a tricky one to invest in. That's for sure. Yeah, Devontae Parker, he's going to get all the love, and you can't argue what he put up at the second, how he looked during the second half of the mm-hmm. season. Basically, he single handedly made the Patriots finish second in that division. But what I want my tone to be is like, is the five plus round difference in ADP between Devontae Parker and Williams warranted? And because I'm not ready to call Parker's 2019 anything but like kind of an outlier season. I, I think I'm going to be fighting some fights this offseason. Uh, I just think the volume, first off, is hard to see repeating. Miami just threw a ton in 2019. Talked about why up top there. Uh, but that's how Parker added close to 130 targets last year. Mm. He was 15th in the NFL in targets. But the first warning sign is that he actually ranked 30th in market share. Like he only had the 30th, uh, 30th highest percent of his, his team's targets. And, mm-hmm. and that's where he really falls short of being that sustainable high-end wide receiver for fantasy. I'm not sure he'll even get back to that 21% target share that he saw in 2020, uh, 2019. And given that he did see so many targets, the efficiency has got to be in question even more. Parker was top five in receiving yards. And in the last quarter century, the only dolphin who had more receiving yards is Brennan Marshall. Uh, Parker's 1200 plus receiving yards in 2019 was more than Jarvis Landry ever had. But I want to focus on his yards per reception, his yards per target really quick. That's the most impressive component to his stat sheet because of the volume. But it sticks out like a regression sore thumb too. He had 16.7 yards per reception last year. The previous four seasons, he averaged 13.6 yards per catch. Also 9.4 yards per target, up from just over 7.9. So his A dot, all that, it was just astronomical, just Will Fuller level stuff. And I just I expect a big a big step back in that department for sure. If the volume dips and the efficiency dips, it's going to be because he experienced a dip in deep targets too. So even if, you know, the, the deep passing is going to be a sexy part of this offense for years to come, whether it's YOLO, Fitzmagic, or sweet, sweet deep ball Tua. But my point is, like, whoever it will be eventually, I think everything just came together for the second half of the season for Parker. And the biggest driver for fantasy is Williams was gone. And, you know, we can say all we want about, Fitzpatrick throwing up these 50-50 balls. The whole point was that he monopolized this entire offense, Devontae mm-hmm. Parker, and it's just super unrepeatable. So, Trav, do you think this offense will have like a sustainable vertical element to it at all? And like what grade do you put on how opportunity driven Parker's season was? Like, do you think he can still be a, a pretty high level upper echelon deep target in the NFL, even if he loses some of the volume? Yeah, I I think he can be that just because that's kind of the the player he is at this point is he's, you know, he's going to use that speed and he's going to use his jump ball ability. I don't think he has uh, a ton of versatility to his game that they're going to use whatsoever. So um, I I think he can potentially be that deep threat. But like you said, that volume is not going to be the same for him. So I think there's going to be some more inconsistency for Devontae Parker than what we saw at the end of last year. And as far as the the vertical element, I do think that this offense will sustain using that. Um, I just think it's going to be spread out a little bit more because Preston Williams is going to take some of that. Mike Gesicki is going to be, um, you know, he's not going to get the deep targets that the wide receivers are going to get, but he's one of those seam stretchers uh, at tight end. It's going to play a lot in the slot as well. So I think that's kind of what they have as far as pass catchers. And then uh, we touched on it a little bit that both of the quarterbacks that they have can throw the ball deep uh, a little bit differently, obviously, but uh, they both will throw the ball deep. So I think that's kind of what this offense has. I just expect it to be a little bit more spread out. 
Yeah, and it, I, I just mentioned that because Parker finished top five in deep targets, deep receptions, mm-hmm. receiving yards, air yards, and he scored five touchdowns off deep targets. And, you know, the red zone, surprisingly, has never been Devontae Parker's game, but only Stephon Diggs had more touchdowns on deep targets last year. So, And Parker also had zero drops on deep targets. So I, I was really impressed with what he did. He, you know, he had 13.8 air yards per target, 33% of the air yard market share in Miami. Basically, Devontae Parker was an elite deep ball receiver in 2019. So I was really impressed with that. And I think he does have that element to his game. And we have always had an appreciation for like his route running, of course, his contested catch ability. But to start getting pessimistic here, to start getting cynical, like he doesn't really separate very well. My thing is with Devontae Parker, if he does pan out, I admit it should look a lot like it did down the stretch last year. But the problem is, are you ready to say Devontae Parker is up there with like Allen Robinson? Is he the next AJ Green? Um, Because that's what he looked like last year. And that's what the numbers showed last year. Also, because it really just looked like Fitz just tossed it up for Devontae Parker every play. Like he just pretended Parker was Brendan Marshall or Decker with the Jets and just chucked it up. (laughs) So I just think once Tua comes in, there'll be a far more structured offense. And my whole point is they can't possibly be less structured than they were in the back half of 2019. And that's another point to make is that some of the magic came on broken plays, right? You know what Fitzmagic lives for is those broken plays. Uh, the catchable target rate, that probably comes up, but the frequency of those deep uh, deep downfield 50-50 balls will just come way down, I think. Mm-hmm. And I really want to like Devontae Parker. I do like the body type, the route running ability. We can't argue with what he did last year. Like from weeks, weeks 11 on, he was first in the NFL in receiving yards. He was tied for the most touchdowns in his 16 catches of 20 plus yards. That also ranked first in the NFL, just an elite deep ball receiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, big Michael Thomas did have more fantasy points during that stretch, but Devontae Parker was the wide receiver two overall totally. over a seven game stretch. And he played against some of the league's top cornerbacks during that span to boot. Um, But if I stayed biased here, there are ways to show he likely comes back to earth. Even if he doesn't turn fully back into a pumpkin, like we already hit the air yards and deep targets being top five and all that. But the touchdowns, they have to come down. Parker scored nine touchdowns Mm -hmm. last year. In the four years of Parker's career heading into 2019, he had nine touchdowns combined. And even last year, like it was all tied to the elite deep passing production. In the red zone, he had just six catches, just one grab inside the 10-yard line last year. So definitely an outlier season in the touchdown department as well for Devontae Parker. Yeah, this has always been kind of a tricky organization to buy into, but we do see some positives in uh, in Brian Flores coming in as coach and then Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, another positive as far as youth and, and excitement on the team is Preston Williams. Ty, do you want to dive into him a little bit? Well, yeah, a lot of uh, my lack of confidence in Devontae Parker is just because I love Preston Williams. And <laughs> actually, really quick, Trav, I wanted to ask you, though, where do you see Devontae Parker settling? Because... ECR right now, like his expert consensus ranking is wide receiver 21. Are you higher or lower than say wide receiver 24 in your ranks? Like, are you willing to say he's as far as a wide receiver three? Because I, I have so. him as a wide receiver three. That's where I, I think have him in my rankings. I think he'd be in like the back, you know, the back of the wide receiver two ranks. Um, if he can put a full season together and uh, it's going to be spotty, but I think he could finish in, in the top 24 there. Yeah, and that's where he's going is ADP wide receiver 24 since Mm -hmm. the post-NFL draft ADP there. And uh, so for Preston Williams, I mean, I talked about those splits. Williams was gone for eight games in the second half of the season. Devontae Parker went from 11.5 PPR points per game to almost 20 points per game, 6.5 to almost 10 targets per game, 3.5 catches to 6.5 catches. 50 receiving yards to over 100 receiving yards a game without Preston Williams. Those are just wild splits. Mike Kosicki, mm-hmm. too. Four targets a game to seven targets a game, six and a half points per game in fantasy to over 11 and a half points per game in fantasy. 
So Preston Williams, man, I, I really like him. And if I say I love him, it doesn't mean that I think he's better than Parker. It just means that I love his price in fantasy drafts. Mm-hmm. He's just all all upside at his cost. And we saw him come in with no draft capital. And we can we can save his backstory for when he's blowing up in season or something. But Preston <laughs> Williams, he came in and dominated from training camp going forward until he tore his ACL in November. So his health is question number one to answer. We, we heard some positive comments from him in March saying he'll be ready for week one for sure. But we have to keep Buddy's knee in mind now now and concerns about a comp- uh, compensatory injury and he did come with major off the field concerns as well so just on the surface do you have worries about either of those his injury concerns heading into 2020 or some of the off-field concerns I think out of those two what kind of concerns me a little bit is the injury I just think with the knee he's a big duty six foot five mm-hmm. uh, so I think it'll be interesting to see and especially the way he gets some of those deep targets as well coming down on that knee is going to be interesting to watch so I wonder if they maybe slow play it a little bit um, but I think that for me is kind of a, a, a short-term concern because if I see positive signs that he's getting back and he's playing like he can uh, and the knee seems strong then I'm totally in like you said on that ADP so uh, the off-field stuff doesn't necessarily necessarily concern me um i guess until it rears its ugly head but for now it's just i want to see them uh, allow him to heal that knee up i don't rush him back just to get him on the field in week one i want to see i want to see him come back real healthy so he can hit his stride like he was last year before he got hurt yeah, and I don't have much concerns with either of those. We saw Cooper Cup come back pretty strong, although maybe he hit a wall, who knows, down the stretch there last year. But uh, we know he started the season on fire and, quote, looked even faster in training camp coming off that ACL injury. So I don't have a lot of concerns about that. Obviously, we don't factor in off-the-field concerns too much in fantasy. We try not to. Um, but yeah, you mentioned that size, man. What I what I take away is what he did on the field. Like, he is just smooth as fuck out there. Just a mm-hmm. hip-shifting, cornerback stacking machine. <laughs> I, I re- he just looked like an NFL wide receiver immediately. It was breathtaking at his size, right? And, you know, had he not gotten injured, I wonder how it plays out. He was on pace to break the, the Super Bowl-era NFL record for receiving yards by a rookie UDFA before getting injured. And he saw over a dozen deep targets. He wasn't that far off. 1,000 air yards either so he was being used like Devontae Parker and he showed some consistency as a UDFA too obviously uh, we know DK Metcalf and Terry McLaurin had spectacular seasons they had the highest rate of games over 50 yards receiving as a rookie tied in third was uh, Preston Williams in this class nice. so yeah, and I think they want to use this kid, and the fact that they drafted just Malcolm Perry late exactly. to add to the skill group, yeah, that makes Preston Williams a huge post-draft winner, shows a lot of confidence in the market, I just think really hasn't adjusted as much as I think it should, and clearly everybody is forgetting that he was the more productive wide receiver. The UDFA <laughs> was putting up better numbers than the former first-round pick in year five. Uh, if I just look at it here, Devontae Parker versus Preston Williams, weeks one to eight, Preston Williams had more targets, catches, receiving yards, and 20-plus yard catches. Matches, uh, over Devonte Parker. Devonte Parker only led in touchdowns, four to three. So post NFL draft, Preston Williams has an ADP of 136. So early mm-hmm. 12th round pick. I think that is a steal, and he profiles as a perfect player for the back end of a wide receiver group. Like we want the upside guys over a safer slot wide receiver or something. And what I think is really nuts is he's still, you know, he's still the wide receiver 53 in ADP right now, and he was the wide receiver 37 as a rookie UDFA last year. So uh, what do you think for wide receiver 50 over under, like in your ranks? Do you think he's above wide receiver 50 for you? 
Oh, I think he's going to be better than wide receiver 52. If he can put some health together, um, you know, if he doesn't make week one and he gets in at week like two or three or something like that, and he can just kind of keep that train rolling, even through a potential quarterback change as well, that's another factor as well. We don't really know what the chemistry is going to be if Tua gets in there. Um, But I think, you know, you have to buy him at that price because he sets up, we've seen him be the priority in that offense. And uh, yeah, I mean, you're you're getting him as your wide receiver five, potentially six on your roster. So uh, I like what you said there that uh, on the back end we're looking for the upside and this is just a primo spot to hit that yeah i have a, a ton of shares of him in best ball i think i'll have a lot of them in redraft too i love him in dynasty as well yeah speaking totally. of a guy i love or loved in dynasty this one hurts trav let's move on to christian kirk <laughs> my boy uh yeah. you know i've 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 really gone to bat for this son of a bitch uh <laughs> <laughs> yes you have we're yeah. uh where do you think uh where do you think christian kirk stands now for fantasy owners in dynasty i don't know man i don't know he's um oh, i know you know, people are looking for the third year breakout and I can see definitely there's some merit to that. He's got the, the really good offense with clean, with clean Cliffsbury. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He's got a really good offense with Cliff Kingsbury there. You know, he's got Kyler Murray, which we love. We love Kyler Murray going into 2020 and beyond. Um, They brought in nuke, which uh, in theory could open up room for Christian Kirk. Uh, For me, it's just the inconsistency that we've seen from him. I mean, he got 24% of the target share last year, and he had 20% in 2018. So uh, with the high volume that we are expecting to see from this offense, I could see him getting around the 20% mark. Um, but do you are you still on that ship that you think that De- DeAndre Hopkins is going to open it up for him and we're going to see that third, third year leap? Yeah, like I, I can hear the surprise in your voice. I am. I'm coming down off my, my Christian Kirk uh, <laughs> mountain here. I, I thought coming into this offseason, even as of right before hopping into projections, I would be ready to champion Christian Kirk as a third-year breakout. We we have really hammered on the Cards team, right, this last couple months. Uh, everything is pointing up in this offense that is tailored to the passing game, and all the signs point towards the passing game. The volume and efficiency to red zone touchdown rates and deep passing, there's just a buffet of positive regression coming. But getting to Kirk and my undying pledge for his immediate uh, imminent breakout, <laughs> it, it was mostly based on what you said, that 20% market share. Like volume was the big reason I liked him and how that volume would look in a more, uh, you know, conducive offense for fantasy that Cliff Kingsbury was rolling out. But I'm really reevaluating that. Like I don't think he can get to that 20% target share. We saw lots of what we expected to unfold last year in Kyler and head coach Cliff Kingsbury's rookie seasons. Tons of four wide receiver sets, a very up-tempo, unique offense and one that pummeled its wide receivers with targets, but Kirk was a big part of that group last year who were unable to accommodate the volume. They just did not capitalize on their opportunity, and that is a big reason they went out and got an alpha wide receiver in Nuke Hopkins, like you mentioned, or why I thought CeeDee Lamb was in the bag in February. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, the the priority change, it should be weird because the cards were already a pass-heavy team, but they didn't have a primary target. Nobody over 110 targets, and now we bring a new Copkins who will be well over 140 targets. Um, last year, we saw Kirk and Fitz just over 100 targets. By the way, what I was getting at with the unable to accommodate thing is there were just three wide receivers last year who had over 100 targets but weren't top 36 wide receivers in fantasy. D.D. Westbrook was one, Larry Fitzgerald was one, and Christian Kirk was the other. So two of the three were Cardinals. Mm-hmm. But behind those two or behind those 200 targets, nobody else on Arizona hit 50 targets last year. So why that's important is we know Nuke is priority one in this passing game. And the allure is that we are still pretty sure it's Christian Kirk who's the number two. That's why we still Mm -hmm. like Christian Kirk. 
but because nuke will command such a heavy load, phrasing, um, phrasing, that makes priority number two <laughs> a little bit diminished. Plus, we have additional pieces now, like more mouths to feed in the spread offense, so it will be less condensed, more spread than it was last year. Yeah. And a couple months ago, we weren't sure, but now we know who cemented in this offense, right? Just having Fitz come back for a swan song and Kenyon Drake for a full season as well, sure. uh, it just throws a lot of wrenches in this machine, but... You know, Trav, do you think this team can be good enough and run enough plays, something we hoped to see last year, but can the passing volume go up here, or should we be happy with how pass-heavy they are as it is? Uh, I think uh, Are we I think happy with what up. we got? Yeah, I think it could go up a little bit. Um, you know, I think last year they were lower than we had anticipated, so I think it could maybe meet somewhere in the middle between last year's expectations and last year's reality. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be an astronomical leap. Um, and so, and I think you know everything aside from Nuke is going to be really spread out, like you said. I'm actually kind of hoping that Andy Isabella can get involved in there as well, and that just throws another wrench. Um, and they, you know, they stuck with Trent Sherfield down the stretch last season as well. So there is a lot of bodies in there. Hakeem Butler even coming back so we really don't know what's going to happen um, in the lower level of this roster because we know that Larry's going to be in there and Kirk um, and I think Larry and Kirk kind of eat into each other right so I think it's it's going to be hard to buy the pieces aside from New Hopkins and uh, obviously Kenyon Drake because he's going to get some targets as well in this offense but the wide receivers I'm not so much on yeah, and I mean, Larry still had the same amount of targets as Kirk last year and the year before as well. So it's, uh, and he's getting the easier looks against zone coverage. So yeah, until Fitz is gone, it, it's tough. And I just think about the offense, though. Like, this offense does come with upside, a ton of upside in the volume mm -hmm. department because there's a big ceiling in that play volume department, and it all trickles down, and it all trickles down most of the pass, most of the wide receiver position. So, you know, everything kind of feels like Christian Kirk benefits from, but. The other thing we've talked about and is reflected by what we're talking about here, but Kirk was kind of miscast last year. So heading into 2020, you can look at it like he's escaping some of the top coverages from opposing defenses and that he'll be in a better position to succeed, but he is losing a big chunk of priority. Like he led this team in deep targets and air yards mm -hmm. last year. And I think most of that just goes poof. Um, we know Kirk has versatility, but I just don't think he'll ever be like an elite deep threat by any means. He ranked outside the top 30 in deep targets and air yards despite leading the team. And looking at his yards per target and stuff, we would bet a million dollars that that player did not lead his team in deep passing work, actually. Right. So just really strange. And, you know, you, you mentioned the guys I wanted to mention. Nuke's just way better at everything that they were asking Kirk to do last year. And I think Andy Isabella probably is, too, just from a handful of plays from the preseason and regular season that mm -hmm. we saw. So I think, I think Kirk has some built-in rapport with Kyler Murray in this offense. I don't think he's going to hurt your fantasy team necessarily, but I do think he has a low ceiling, For even sure. inside a pretty explosive offense. And, you know, what what we have been able to say about Kirk is that he's a safe option, but I think there's even a floor for fantasy this year, so long as Larry Fitzgerald is breathing, really. Um, bottom line, I just don't see him having more targets than he did last year, and, you know, he could all of a sudden become a more low A dot, low yards yeah. per reception guy, right? So, like, if I said his over under at 100 targets what, what do you think there i'm probably gonna go under um yeah like i'll push there brother right? <laughs> and i think yeah totally right yeah. and i think you know that for in a lot of situations is enough for guys to succeed and be that you know top 20 option that you want them to be but i just think christian kirk you know if he's going to be getting those short short depth of target uh targets <laughs> uh, i think you need some yards after the catch and he was only putting up 4.2 per reception after the catch last year so he hasn't really been putting up any after the catch numbers that we want from a guy who's catching the short targets right so um that goes along 
along with the inconsistency too. One last thing is an interesting thing for Christian Kirk that I looked into is that he only has five games in his career where he's had a touchdown or a hundred yards. And those five games account for just under a third of his career fantasy production. So uh, that just kind of, that just kind of shows the inconsistency that he's provided on what's been a pretty decent opportunity for him to kind of show that Mm -hmm. he's got what it takes to be someone that they can rely on. Right. But he just hasn't quite done that. So um, yeah, I, yeah, I can't buy into Christian Kirk. I'd rather just wait till later and get Andy Isabella for essentially free. Yeah. I just there's no way I can get him to 200 PPR points this year. No. Even though I can get him close to 100 targets, right? And it's funny mm-hmm. because I'm not ready to give up on Christian Kirk. I just think well Fitzgerald's there and while this offense is still blooming, so to speak, uh it, it's probably still a year away. So he probably ends up in that 20% loser bracket again right around 100 targets, but right <laughs> around wide receiver 37, you know. Um, sure. Honestly, Kirk, I have to move him down in my rankings too because I just don't see the upside. Like his deep targets and air yards that led the team are going to plummet, and he's he's very unlikely to have a spike touchdown season given what we've seen mm-hmm. from him. So that just doesn't feel like a guy I should have ranked in the top forty wide receivers, aka single digit rounds of fantasy drafts. And he is my wide receiver thirty seven right now. Actually, nice. that's exactly what he is in ECR. So give me like Deontay Johnson easily, oh, uh, yeah. Marvin Jones, Miko mm-hmm. Hartman. I'll take those kind of guys over uh, over Christian Kirk. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Trav, I might even entertain moving Preston Williams ahead of Christian Kirk. Ooh, the man we just talked about. But I'm definitely taking Darius Slayton over him, who we can get to next. So what do you think about the Giants wide receivers? Yeah, I think for me, it's it's the guy that you just mentioned is Darius Slayton. That's the guy that I want. Uh, last year, he came on strong towards the back half and when Daniel Jones entered. He had a surprising 740 yards in um, what seemed like semi-limited work, but he also had 83 targets last year. So that was a little bit of a sneaky season on his part. And I think a lot of people are hoping for some progression from him uh, and myself included. I, you know, I don't know if we can bank on those eight touchdowns that he got last season, but I'm pretty excited for Darius Slayton. And uh, I mean, the other wide receivers, Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate are, you know, pretty low upside options. So if I'm going to buy any wide receiver on this offense, it's definitely Slayton. Yeah, I, th- I think this whole conversation is pretty interesting with the Giants, kind of like Christian Kirk, like a lot of real life football versus fantasy football, right? And because mm-hmm. I have it clear in my head for real life football, Golden Tate is the 1A, Slayton is the 1B, Shepard is the clear 2. And to pause, that's that's why I have very little faith in him for fantasy, Sterling Shepard, so long as he is playing on the perimeter. Um, and that's bound to happen so long as Golden Tate's healthy and yeah. able. No pun intended there, eh? Bound to happen. <laughs> Boundary wide receiver duties. Sorry. I'm sorry. Wow. But, nice. <laughs> but to finish that thought, I also have it very clear in my head for fantasy, and it reflects how valuable each guy's volume is, right? So I say, Clay, uh, I'm with you. Like, Slayton is the clear number one, arguably the only one we want at cost right now in yeah. fantasy football out of this wide receiver group. The only one I have ranked in the single-digit rounds of drafts right now, too, actually. Then I have Golden Tate followed by Sterling Shepard. So is that, do you have it ranked the same or am I way too low? Uh, Like that's your Big Apple uh, food chain as well? Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, I could see, you know, Golden Tate coming out with more targets potentially, but it's just, he's not going to do as much with his targets as Darius Slayton will, because Darius Slayton's going to be getting those deep shots. He's, you know, he had a 14 yard average depth of target last year. So Daniel Jones likes to put it up deep to him and Daniel Jones, you know, we've seen him scramble around and use his legs a bit. And I think it's almost like a almost like a Josh Allen and John Brown light from last year, where Josh Allen's going to be scrambling around and he's going to huck it up uh, deep when he when he needs to find a guy. So I think there's a little bit of similarities there with Daniel Jones and Darius Slayton, and I think these guys can just kind of grow together with Darius Slayton filling 
that role. Like if they ask him to do a ton more and be their alpha wide receiver, I'm not so sure. But if they, you know, give the short targets to Tate and Shepard and then they ask Slayton to take the top off, I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, and it's like you said, like what he brings to the table is what we chase in fantasy. But to go even deeper, like his skill set aligns perfectly with Daniel Jones, like he said. But we've really seen a spark between those two. That's what I like, the chemistry. And it showed mm-hmm. up right away in the preseason last year. And the Giants have also made a concerted effort to build up the protection up front on that offensive line so they can deal up, uh, dial up that deep ball. So I really like that as well. And Slayton had over 20 deep targets last year, led the team also in air yards by a wide margin. So I really love Slayton for best ball. But there's actually like a ton going on. I think there's a new coaching staff coming in, a new system coming in. Oh, and uh, Saquon Barkley, that thing is there as well. <laughs> And, you know, we obviously have to bear in mind Evan Ingram as well. They're the real heroes here, Job. For sure. For um, sure. They're New York's finest. There's no doubt about that. But uh, another thing is the Giants have a very, very difficult strength to schedule versus the, fa- uh, versus the pass in 2020. But there's also a lot of growth they could experience on offense. Like, you kind of mentioned that there. And, you know, we know they'll lose games. They'll be in pass-happy game scripts that the Giants will be this year. So I think... That also means we can look at some of this vacated volume because the Giants have about the 10th most available volume across the board. But sticking with Slayton here, we're interested in the 1,000 air yards gone from last season. It's about 25% of the team's air yards. And we know this offense will take shots downfield and they'll use a lot of play action. Well, we hope they do. Um, But the Giants won't waste what's Daniel Jones' best attribute, and that's making those big-time throws. Um, so do you think Slayton is the wide, you, you said he's the wide receiver to own, but do you think anybody in this offense from the wide receiver group sees 100 targets? If so, who? Um, and if not, do you think uh, somebody outside of the wide receiver position like Saquon or uh, Evan Ingram can hit that mark? Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily think that uh, any of the wide receivers are going to hit it just because uh, Slayton had that surprising 83 last year. I think a lot of that came because Evan Ingram was out for a big portion and Saquon Barkley missed a little bit of time as well. So I have a hard time um, projecting, you know, it could happen because you know, Golden Tate can soak up those targets. He had 21% of the target share uh, after he came in there. So um, it it could potentially happen, but if I'm going to project it, that's not how I'm going to project it whatsoever. I think the wide out targets are going to be spread out. And then I think if anyone's getting a hundred, it's going to be Saquon Um, and Evan Ingram could potentially push that as well, but uh, I wouldn't be ready to project that for him. The most likely would be Saquon. Yeah. So especially amongst these wide receivers, I don't see the targets being at a premium either. So I'll take the guy who crushed the rest of the team in ADOT. Like you mentioned exactly. that. What do you say? Over 14? Yeah, it was 14 yards. Yeah. Yeah. Hook it up. And he also, yeah, he led the team in touchdowns comfortably, like you mentioned. And maybe those team leading eight touchdowns come down, but he looks like a 15 yards per reception guy, not yeah. ADOT, but a 15 yards per reception kind of guy to me. And looking at touchdowns, actually, and talking about Slayton's roll down the field, I thought it was wild that Golden Tate had three touchdowns last year of 40 plus yards. The Giants, the Giants yeah. as a team had only five. For Dynasty, that's work that eventually, if not immediately, transfers to Slayton. And overall, he should command an even higher share of the deep passing work next year as Tate continues to age and the coaching gets less dumb, possibly. (laughs) But I still have Slayton as a wide receiver three or wide receiver four for fantasy. I'm not really targeting him. And for my home leagues, I doubt I'll own very much of any of these wide receivers in New York because there's one big hedge I got to make here, the strength of schedule. I was not joking. For sure. 
if he is the number one wide receiver on this team and he does draw the top coverage from defenses, the Giants have 10, I say 10, uh, extremely tough matchups for wide receiver ones in 2020, uh, murderers row to start and finish the season. If cornerbacks match up like Shadow Slayton, he's got Pittsburgh, Joe Hayden, Chicago, first two weeks of the year. Shadows from Richard Sherman and Jalen Ramsey, weeks three and four. Uh, Slayton versus Slay, week seven. Tampa Bay, Ooh. week eight. Slayton versus Slay, rematch, week nine, rematch. nine, nine. Rematch. Me, 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 And then fast forward to the fantasy football playoffs, weeks 14 to 16. We have Patrick Peterson in Arizona. We have Denzel Ward in Cleveland. And then Marlon Humphrey will be Shadow. Uh, this guy in uh, in fantasy football championship week. So, Trav, what I wanted to ask you is we're making a lot of deal this, that we see this really, really tough strength of schedule. Am I underselling the other options in this offense? Because Sterling Shepard has a lot of fans. Golden Tate was getting a decent portion of the air yards and deep looks in blue. Kind of look like a little Victor Cruz out there, actually. Where are you on these guys? And any thoughts on Slayton, too, if you want, because I kind of just sat on the fence overall on him there for fantasy. <laughs> no, I think, you know, these other guys, they're just not not options that we're going to get excited about, right? So I'm sure you could be maybe underselling them a little bit, but what are you going to oversell them? You know what I mean? Like, I don't think... I don't think you're going to go that route. So I don't, you know, I think anybody's going to undersell these wide receivers because we just haven't seen consistency out of them. Sterling Shepard's always getting hurt. Golden Tate, you know, he's getting older and we know that he is a little bit limited as far as what he's going to do. So I uh, know I don't think you're underselling these guys because I'd do the same as well. So uh, Slayton in that role, like I said, I'll just finish. Uh, if he's going to hit that role, you said 15 yards yards per reception. He had 15.4 last year. So that was pretty spot on, buddy. Uh, and and I think in that role as probably like a wide receiver four on your roster, right? That's another thing you got to factor in is you're going to get him as somebody you're not going to have to necessarily rely on. Um, yeah, you can put point. him in a flex and and you can get some of those spike weeks, right? So, uh, yeah, I, we're in the same boat. We're um, uh, hedging a little bit on Slayton, but that's, I think, a product of where you're going to get him and, and how much you're going to have to rely on him on your roster. Yeah, no, I, I hate the phrase, but it, it really does apply in this in instance, and he is just a better best ball player than he will be a redraft mm-hmm. asset this year. Um, mm-hmm. What I want to, and I actually, I think for Dynasty, wheels up for sure. Uh, I wanted to ask you for Golden Tate, either or, Jalen Rager or Golden Tate for 2020. Ooh, for 2020. The, yeah, I got them right beside each other in my redraft. Rank. Give me, give me Jalen Rager just because there's you know, some upside. I like me too. <laughs> yeah, there's just you know, there's some big playability. There's something that's going to, um, going to potentially, you know, you could have week winning weeks for him, and you're not going to say that for Golden Tate. So, uh, give me Rager, no Homer. so we we didn't really mention sterling shepherd he's a top 100 pick in fantasy and he goes as early as the eighth round and drafts him in as well his ecr is wide receiver 40 and if not for appearances i'd have him behind golden tate in my fantasy rankings the only thing (laughs) is he does come with upside if he's seeing some of the better looks from daniel jones and maybe slayton is getting the very tough coverage uh you know, for the Giants wide receiver group. I I think Sterling Shepard could have some sort of like X-factor vibe to him this season. Because again, Saquon for life and Evan Ingram is borderline elite for fantasy if he's healthy. My beef with Shepard though is how late is too late, right? Like he's no longer young, you know? Sterling Shepard is 27 years old and he also has durability concerns concerning concerns and uh yeah i just i I don't love them on the outside the whole perimeter thing really bugs me we just we want him in the slot but because of golden tape because of evan ingram he's just really limited in that sense so yeah i guess you're you you seem pretty low on on him as well then eh? yeah i just think you know if he has shown little flashes here and there but i don't think he's 
the elite athlete that's going to make the Giants stick around on him if he continues to not produce, right? So uh, from a dynasty perspective, I could potentially see this be in his last year in New York, and then we don't know what's going to happen there. So similar, like you think about Devontae Parker in that late breakout. Well, Devontae Parker came out as an elite athlete. So um, his athletic profile kind of transcended the early non-production, whereas I don't think Sterling Shepard's profile does that for him. So yeah, I just, I'm pretty low on him. I don't, I don't know exactly where I have him in my rankings right now, but uh, it would probably be in that area of, you know, wide receiver 40, unless golden something were to happen to golden Tate, where we see Shepard in the slot, like you said. So maybe another little bit of a hedge there, but uh, I do like him better in the slot. And like you said, we're not going to see that. So it's just an, another unexciting option. Yeah, I think Evan Ingram's like number two in that slot anyways when healthy. For sure. So if this is his last year in New York, possibly his upside in Dynasty would be to become the next Jameson Crowder perhaps because we have <laughs> Jameson Crowder next and he has really carved out a path in New York. However, in green and with a coach we hate in an offense we despise. Where, uh, where do you stand on Jameson Crowder? <laughs> because his ADP is just super suppressed right now. Yeah, I got to say that uh, you're killing the transitions on this one, by the way. I just want to <laughs> figure I'd mention as long as that. I'm, uh, as long as I'm killing Crowder in the process. That's yeah, cool. hey, I just feel like I got to give credit where credit's due, man. So, <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I don't uh, want to be too strong because this guy is super cheap right now. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, he's cheap enough that I'll take him, um, you know, late to add to the bottom of a wide receiver court. Uh, I just think the 120 targets could potentially happen again. Uh, I don't think it's going to be something that's going to get him into like wide receiver one territory. I think he max is going to be a back end wide receiver two, but I think that could be useful in some spots. And the reason why I think he could still get that, uh, I know they added Denzel Mims and Brashad Perriman, but I think the, the off season that we're seeing with everything being virtual is going to be a big factor. And I think um, some of the wide receivers with, uh, with the quarterback chemistry are going to feel the effects of that the most. So I think Denzel Mims could hit some speed bumps early in the season. And I think Jamison Crowder as somebody who's already had work with, uh, with Sammy D uh, I think he could soak up some of those targets as well so like i said it's not going to be like an upside 120 plus targets i think it's going to be a floor play 120 plus targets and uh, his price is pretty solid right now like you said yeah I, for me i don't really know because i have a hard time getting past like the offense at all you know what i mean when you go top mm-hmm. down from something and i expect a very slow offense from the jets any gase offense and possibly a five win team at best maybe a coach who gets fired mid-season fingers crossed and yeah, no i doubt. truly believe because of how young sam darno is i'm not sure how much blossoming we'll see in 2020 because of this environment you know um having said that crowder he's the best bet to finish the highest from this group there's no disputing Mm -hmm. that i i just don't care for him i loved him once upon a time she loves me she loves me not she loves me she loves me not just a player who has all the volume upside in the world this season, but I'm not sure he can have like 1,200 yards receiving or 10 yeah, touchdowns. No. That just won't happen in this For Jets sure. offense. So I'm not sure the upside we're chasing isn't like 75% of Jarvis Landry from Miami. And the fantasy community just used to shit all over Jarvis. So, you know, do you think that's an accurate statement or am I selling him short? Like, do you think his ceiling is essentially those wild target seasons we saw from Jarvis? Can Crowder get to like 130, 140? Or is he like absolutely capped? Because we saw it with somebody like Tyler Boyd last year, Devontae Barker, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I think I think it is captain. You know, 120 would probably be the max that I would see because, like you said, yeah. they're going to be a slow offense. So they're not going to be, you know, in the tops in the league as far as pass attempts by any means. And then, of course, we know Adam Gase is not giving, you know, super quality attempts to guys just as far as his scheme and whatnot. So he's capped a little bit there. And I don't even think uh, Jarvis Landry would be his ceiling because I don't think he has the red zone chops that Jarvis Landry has. And we know the Jets aren't going to make uh, a whole bunch of red zone trips again. So... I, I think he is definitely capped, and, and I think, you know, Jarvis Landry would be a generous comparison, in my opinion. No, I agree. I think that's, like, why you can appreciate somebody like Jarvis Landry, because that guy will go over the middle, no mm-hmm. questions asked. Somebody like Jameson Crowder will not, in my opinion, especially post, like, some of his injury history. Um, Trav, we know we love vacated targets here. Uh, the Jets are third or better across the board. Not sure outside of compiling how much this applies to Crowder, but Robbie yeah. Anderson leaves a black hole down the middle of the field in New York. The Jets have over 2,000 air yards up for grabs from last season. Um, they just brought in Mims and Perriman, like you said. But I think to apply context to why some people hate vacated work, uh, the Jets have the most air yards available over 2,000 air yards available sounds great but the wide receivers for the Jets last year combined for just 10 deep receptions that was Mm -hmm. the second worst in football so just because there's lots of air yards available doesn't mean this team is any good at distributing those air yards exactly yeah anywho my former flame Jameson Crowder I think for argument's sake he can hit 120 targets um I think Sam Darno has been leashed and he's also just keyed in on the slot wide receiver as we know But I I just, yeah, I don't think it's going to lead to him being a top 15 wide receiver. I think what's crazy is in ECR, Jameson Crowder is still wide receiver 40 and barely inside the top 100 overall going behind somebody like Sterling Shepard. So maybe Crowder, if you need a safety net at wide receiver for roster construction purposes, I actually have him ranked right at wide receiver 40. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought he was ranked much higher than that. And it's actually all this is in line with his current ADP as well, like his post-draft NFL ADP. So I don't know. Take Crowder if you want. He could see a very high target share, but I think the Jets might be the worst offense in football. So, you know, having said that, Trav, that probably doesn't leave room for fantasy contributions behind Crowder, I guess. On the other hand, though, the Paramans and Mims of the world, I think, are kind of far more exciting. Maybe they do stand to provide some spiked weeks for best ball or dynasty rosters. Uh, what would, Do you have any thoughts about Jamison, uh, the, the weapons behind Jamison Crowder? Yeah, I think Perriman is, you know, he could be like a a super late redraft target. And then Mims is obviously the dynasty target for me there. I think Mims could blossom with Sam Darnold um, as they grow in the future, especially when they get a different coach. Uh, I'm really excited about that piece. And I think Perriman, um, I think Denzel Mims is brought in to be what Perriman's going to be earlier in the season, right? So Perriman's going to get some of those deep targets and he's going to be their speed guy. And then as Mims grows and gets acclimated to the offense, I think he's going to take over as the main outside threat because he's stellar in contested catch situations. I think he had the second most in all of college football last year so I think he's going to be their field stretcher once he gets in and he gets comfortable Uh, I think you're going to see some you know a big week here and then a couple of zeros and then another big week there from Perriman early in the season but I think he'll get phased out um, as whenever Mims is ready essentially yeah I kind of like that's exactly how I see it playing out too is and that's what I'm saying is I kind of covet this role not covet it but if it's going to be cheap enough it's definitely a good asset to have on your baseball roster and plug in right and you know Brashad Perriman it's interesting I can't exactly lend my support after my Devontae Parker hate right so (laughs) I don't want to be too uh 
uh, you know, what's the word hypocritical there, but, uh, he is like a mini version, except he did it in a better offense for a smaller stretch. So it's not as comparable, right? Like not as impressive as what Devontae Parker did. But once he was called on near the end of the season for Tampa Bay, Perriman had a three game streak over 100 yards receiving all three games. And he definitely managed that role of playing an NFL team's deep threat, right? And if you want to feel out how different, uh, the Tampa Bay offense was from the Jets, Robbie Anderson had 26 deep targets last year as the Jets top dog. Perriman had 25 deep targets last year. <laughs> it's just pathetic. Sam Darnold is not Jameis Winston. <laughs> no, and you know, that offense is much different, but I, I do yeah. have faith in him serving like a niche at the very least. He is fast and player profiler. We've mentioned the, the burn rate metric. I filtered for 500 intended air yards among 85 qualified wide receivers. Perriman ranked third best in burn rate, baby. Burn, mm. baby, burn. The tramps. Um, the issue with Perriman will be painfully the same as it always was with Robbie Anderson. The spiked weeks will be hard to predict and they could come all in one small stretch of the season, AKA the guy's going to be boomer bust and really streaky on a bottom five offense. Um, Mm. But like, who do you like out of the two in redraft? Are you taking Perriman with the assumption that he will start with that role in the season? Or are you taking Mims in say a best ball, hoping that he gives you the big weeks and ends up with more of those spiked weeks overall? Mm-hmm. Well, in listening in listening to your best ball work, I'd tro- probably be trying to stack those guys. Um, but if I'm going to take one, I'm probably going to take uh, I'm probably going to take Prashad Perriman just because he's the vet. He's been around the NFL, and uh, I think they brought him in to do that. And I think he can insulate the the Mims acclimation. So I would probably take uh, Denzel Perriman in in redraft and best ball. But in dynasty, I'm going Mims. You know, Mims kind of worries me. In the sense where it doesn't, and you know, this is a terrible comparison now that Drew Locke is beloved, but it kind of reminds me of Drew Locke where he fell into that, you know, Denzel Mims experienced a slide in the NFL draft Mm -hmm. and it seemed like only one team was ever going to draft him. You know what I mean? Denzel Mims was very heavily connected with the Jets and it seemed like they were the only team who showed the most interest similar Mm -hmm. to how it played out with Drew Locke and the Broncos. So I think that's really interesting, but I love Denzel Mims. I mean, talking about dropping in drafts, he was 6'3", over 200 pounds, great wingspan, catch radius, all that. He seemed to dispel lots of the connotations we usually associate with Baylor wide receivers receivers as well he dominated senior bowl week went to the combine and showed elite athleticism weight adjusted it was elite across the board mm-hmm. and the speed and explosiveness i thought confirmed what showed up on tape just a big play contested catch machine pretty versatile too and you know he's not polished by any means we would have liked to see him use his big body more but i i thought he constantly won the ball in the air i mean yeah, you exactly. said he was number two in college football last year in contested catches he's number one over the past three years combined and nice. he also put up big plays and that's the way he did it was those 50 50 contested catches and those big plays down the sidelines and he was top three in this class in 15 plus yard catches and 25 plus yard catches so i just wanted to lay on some of the love his only knock to me was that he's gonna take some grooming and he is already a bit older and that is a big knock the age um But I thought they stole him in the draft, it feels like. And I wanted to go through some of that because he sure doesn't threaten the workload of players like Le'Veon Bell, Jameson Crowder, or Chris Herndon. But we, we've kind of talked about it here where he is going to be fighting Perriman and it kind of sets up for Perriman to just man that role this season and let Mims come along slowly, like you said. And it mm-hmm. really sucks for an offense that will be dying for some electricity, you know, they could use Denzel Mims right for away sure. because I just don't think Frank Gore was brought in to provide that spark, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it really is too bad. I thought Denzel Mims was one of those players who had a lot to lose or gain by landing spot, you know what I mean? Because he's for also sure. top five in touchdowns in this class and touchdown rate 
late in the red zone, and he's right between guys like C.D. Lamb and T. Higgins, and he just crushed at Baylor in the red zone. So it's really disappointing, and I just wanted to make sure I didn't forget to say uh, there's something I was going to say. Uh, oh, yeah, I hate this offense. <laughs> yeah, um, just the last piece <laughs> The last piece I got here just to touch on Mims. You talked about his, his red zone conversion rate, and that's what excites me about Denzel Mims. You know, I don't know if they're going to take a whole bunch of red zone trips this season with Adam Gase, but I think when you're looking at Dynasty, you're looking at the future, and I think we all... We're all pretty confident that Adam Gase isn't going to be around. And so Denzel Mims in in the red zone in college, he had 22 receptions and 17 of those were touchdowns. So uh, that's the conversion rate that Ty was alluding to earlier there. And that's a big piece of my excitement for him is the touchdown upside going forward. So uh, yeah, but again, we, we do not like this offense for 2020, but we're starting to see that glimmer of hope where we can buy some of these dynasty pieces. So, so I kind of like, I kind of like the prospects going forward. I have been a big Sam Darnold supporter too so i like that they have some decent weapons that he can potentially distribute to as he as he gets a little bit older because he's still super young yeah and i I think all these guys remain buys in the long term gase will not be there forever joe douglas Mm -hmm. won't be the gm when gase leaves either so you know we always talk about these rookie wide receivers how you're buying rookie wide receivers heading into their sophomore season and denzel mims is really going to stand out in that in that bucket this year for sure all right, Ty. So we're going to move on to the next uh, next wide receiver situation here. You actually alluded to this guy a little bit earlier in saying that you would probably take him over Christian Kirk, and that's Marvin Jones. Um, it was interesting because we kind of had some inkling that they may end up releasing him uh, this offseason, but they didn't. He played cockroach. He stuck around, and all they added was Quintez Cephas late in the draft. So uh, Marvin Jones is looking like he could have another sneaky season under his belt kind of always pulls those out of the sleeve, eh? Yeah, totally. I mean, you, you mentioned the draft. I thought what Detroit did in the draft was surprising, but not because they added a running back. We warned against that. But with zero wide receivers under contract for 2021, we assumed they would add some help in that department. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Marvin Jones in a contract year. Kenny Galladay needs a deal, plus Amendola and Allison are, are one-way tickets. Uh, Marvin Jones, though, for fantasy. We all love Kenny Galladay. I think Kenny Galladay is a wide receiver one for 2020. But how we've seen this offense operate and the type of work Marvin Jones has gotten in Detroit, we we have to like this guy at his ADP. And in projections, Marvin Jones is a guy who's going to come out very favorably. Uh, He's seen consistent deep work, deep passing work, and he's been a steady red zone presence as well. And you you just can't find a much better combination. That high leverage work for, for Marvin Jones has been on top of over six targets per game, like volume as well, every year in Detroit. That's a 100-target pace. And I think uh, there, there's a lot of arguments to make in favor of uh, of Marvin Jones, but what I want to say is that everybody is making these arguments. He's a very hot commodity right now in the sleeper world, you know what I mean? That whole mm-hmm. phrase that sleepers just don't exist anymore because everybody knows about them. So exactly. the other side of things, the reason Jones isn't going in round five of fantasy drafts is it does feel like the fall is coming. Honestly, I thought they draft some help and... Like you said, possibly even release Marvin Jones. Uh, he's had some health issues in recent years, and he is getting up there. He's 30 years old now. There's no doubt that most of what he brings to the table, also Kenny G, can do much better. And mm-hmm. the Lions have a budding tight end, and TJ Hawkinson will get more volume every year. DeAndre Swift can handle as much volume in the passing game as they give to him. And you know, So while we hear from the Sharps the gap between Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones is too wide, I don't, I don't think it really is. I think Jones is still a value, but there is a low floor for Marvin Jones because of the age, 
because of the production cap and the growth around him. So that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about, Trav. By, you know, they added DeAndre Swift. You have Kerryon Johnson still there. That offensive line is looking good. Do you think this team is set up to run the ball, or do you think they'll still be taking as many deep shots as they were in the first half of last year when Stafford was healthy? Mm-hmm. We're going going back to that well, are we? The, are the Lions going to be a run-heavy team well? Um, it's interesting because we thought it was going to happen last year Daryl Bevel everything in his history shows that he was a run heavy coach Mm -hmm. Uh, and then they just continued to sling it with Matt Stafford so people change hey (laughs) yeah and Daryl Bevel did that so I but I'm saying I need a couple I I don't just say one year and you've changed you know that's fair that's fair yeah so put me on the parole board (laughs) yeah I'm gonna jump back on the fence and say that maybe it could be somewhere in the middle of that Um, I think they are going to out of necessity need to need to throw the ball because that's kind of where the best playmakers on their teams team are DeAndre Swift is good but we want to see him come in and and you know carve out a role in this offense which we we don't necessarily know yet because carry on still there um yeah for me I think they're probably they're probably still going to be predominantly pass maybe a little bit more running maybe a little bit more passing to the running backs but I think they're going to try and utilize Stafford's arm while he's still around after that backyotomy. Doctor said I need a backyotomy. Yeah, agreed. I, I think Stafford's the X factor. There's no doubt about it. Like he needs to stay healthy. I think the only way, like Marvin Jones can lose a lot of this work and still maintain some fantasy viability. I say Jones has one clear road to fantasy payoff territory though, but it's also the hardest to predict and that's the touchdowns, right? Because mm-hmm. I think he can be a big red zone threat still, even if some of the volume starts to slide and some of the deep passing work continues to trend towards Kenny Galladay. Um, But last year, Marvin Jones had eight touchdowns in the red zone. That was tied for the league lead with Michael Thomas. And he and Kenny Galladay were among the league leaders in red zone and work inside the 10-yard line, both of them. But the need to know there is that he did have a four-touchdown game. I should say Marvin Jones had another four-touchdown game. (laughs) Just (laughs) unreal. In the last 20 years, Trav, only eight games, only eight such games exist where a wide receiver had four touchdowns. Two of them are Marvin Jones, and he's done it with two different teams now. Just remarkable. And just to paint the picture of how reliant he is on high-leverage work, Marvin Jones now has more games in his career with four touchdowns than he does with ten catches. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The most feed hated argument, I think that could apply in Detroit as well, because we mentioned Hawkinson, we mentioned DeAndre Sif, but what we saw last year was three players, Kenny G, Marvin Jones, and Danny Amendola. All three of those guys were shockingly close in volume. In the 12 games, that all three of those players played in all of them saw between 75 and 86 total targets Hmm. so Trav do you have any worry about somebody like Danny Amendola being a big thorn in the side or do you think we can see say 50 60 targets from Swift or maybe 80 90 100 targets from TJ Hawkinson do you worry about either of those really cutting into uh, Marvin Jones work not so much from Swift because that's going to be uh, believe it when I see it to see them passing to the running backs. I think some of that plays into the type of guy that Stafford is liking to look downfield with that big arm. Um, the Hawkinson is the one that does kind of worry me because I think he could be a good red zone threat as well if he gets that work. And like you said, that's where Marvin Jones especially is making his bread, right? His touchdowns just have been fantastic over his career and it's crazy to to say that he's going to sustain that. Um, I don't think he's going to put another nine up next year because like I said Hawkinson is would be the one that concerns me as far as Marvin Jones and I'm still not concerned about Kenny Galladay whatsoever yeah so this is all really lending towards Marvin Jones I think it really is and uh 
Actually, maybe I'll ride out here. I do want to compare Marvin Jones to Kenny Galladay just because a lot of people really want to compare these two. Um, so I'm going to compare them over the last two years. And the reason I'm I'm going to do it on a per-game basis just because Marvin Jones has missed 14 games over that stretch. You know. So since 2018, Marvin Jones averages 6.8 targets per game. Kenny Galladay averages 7.3. Both of them average 4.4 catches per game, and the touchdowns are very close as well. The actual production is where we do see a difference. So Jones averages just under 60 receiving yards per game. Galladay averages 73 receiving yards per game. So you put that into a full season, that's over 1,160 receiving yards for Galladay compared to just under 950 for Jones on the same volume. So I just wanted to, you know, we see the really big plays favor Galladay as well. The deep passing work, usually we refer to 20 plus yard targets, but if we go bigger, we see real separation here. Kenny Galladay has eight catches of 40 or more yards since 2018. Marvin Jones has just one. And actually since 2018, four of the six touchdowns of 40 plus yards for the Lions were Kenny G, baby. And the yards per target, it really emphasizes how stellar he is. He's close to 10 even over this stretch. 9.2 yards per target in 2018, 10.5 yards per target last year. Jones is at 8.6 and 8.7. So with all that, it shouldn't be surprising that the big games stand out too. Kenny Galladay puts up a 100-yard receiving game over 25% of the time over the past two years. Marvin Jones about 15% of the time. And beyond the deep passing showing that difference, like Kenny Galladay, he goes really deep, right? And we also see the yards after the catch is just incomparable. Like Kenny mm -hmm. G can do something after the catch, and Marvin Jones is just entirely pigeonholed, like in Mike Evans, for instance. So for sure. I just wanted to point some of that out because... Kenny Galladay is so good, and I just don't want it to be to be lost on anybody uh, when all the Marvin Jones hype starts, because it really has already started. And uh, I, I did want to offer some context to why Marvin Jones' ADP is suppressed as well, right? Because a month from now, when every analyst is pegging him as a buy, he can quickly become a fade if he rises throughout mm -hmm. this offseason. So don't go overboard, because people are pushing him, but his ECR doesn't show it, you know what I mean? His expert consensus ranking is wide receiver 36. I have him as my wide receiver 35, and he's going as the top and he's going as a top 40 wide receiver in ADP. So I'm just not sure where all this value talk is coming from. That's my whole point there. For sure, for sure. I like what you said there, and I think we're just going to let it ride out on that because I loved how you laid out him uh, versus Kenny G over the last couple of years. And I think, you know, like you said, there are pieces that look like there's not a big difference between those guys, but talent-wise, talent, talent -wise, Kenny G is definitely uh, a tier above Marvin Jones. So we'll just leave it at that, Ty. You laid that out really well, and we want to move on to the next guy here. Let's do it. Kind of funny, a near and dear one for me. We always kind of end up on the Eagles at some point in an episode, and uh, we're there again. Do you want to talk about the Eagles wideout situation? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, there's there's a lot to go through there, so we'll definitely have to two-part this one. I mean, we're going to talk about who plays on the outside. Or I think that's kind of what we have to talk about so, because yeah. that's the big question in this offense. So what do you think? Do you think it's Alshon? I think Alshon probably still sees more outside work to start the season like Jaw, jj ortega whiteside he will see fewer total snaps this year than he did in 2019 just because of all the bodies coming in because yeah. of the health but i think alshon jeffrey will you know of course have some soft tissue injury or he could be cooked altogether, <laughs> or maybe he just looks like his old clunky self who's pretty fun to watch and a pretty valuable asset for fantasy too but jj ortega whiteside he still has a shot to play some outside wide receiver right he'll see some opportunity and if he performs then he still has a future and in that range of outcomes he would become a value right now theoretically right but i think the problem is he'll be on a very short leash and there's numerous players to take his spot now 
Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because um, they've got Alshon and J-Jaw as the big targets on the outside, and then they just brought in a slew of speed. Uh, Jalen Rager is super fast. Deshaun Jackson's coming back. Marquise Goods- Goodwin is a speedster. And then you got John Hightower and Quez Watkins who can uh, get vertical as well. So it's interesting because they got the speed on one side, they got the big guys on the other, and then they got the two tight ends in the middle, right? So uh, I think exactly like you said, man, Alshon Jeffrey's going to get more work than we probably want him to. Um, I just think he is super declining as an asset. And I'd like to see J-Jaw get a little bit more work. So um, I, I think it's exactly like you said, J-Jaw could, could come in later with an Alshon injury. Um, the excitement for me is probably a little bit more towards the speed, but that might be my fandom coming into the into play because we've needed that element. He's fast though. Uh, Marquise Goodwin? J-Jaw. I think yeah, J-Jaw is fast. He's just not like electrically fast. Yeah, though. for like, his He's size, not like, he's... yeah. Yeah, he can get down the field for his size, definitely, and he can win those jump balls. The red zone is where I really want to see J-Jaw. But yeah, I think definitely for his side size, he has some speed as well. I think he brings more dynamism than does Alshon Jeffrey, and we know all the locker room talk about Alshon, so I could even see Alshon getting dealt for like a later pick coming in towards the season if Howie really wants to get rid of him. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. And um, I mean, if you're drafting J-Jaw right now and that does happen to Alshon, then you definitely are getting J-Jaw at a, at a value. Mm-hmm. And I think that's possible. You know, we're seeing teams eat money when it comes to contracts. And I, that'll sure. definitely, that'll have to happen. If they do trade Alshon Jeffrey, they'll have to eat some of that salary. But I think that's totally within the range of outcomes. Uh, back to J-Jaw, I think it's really unfortunate because this guy just wasn't put in a good spot to kick off his career right last no year. Doubt. You just can't write off a big body contested catch guy after year one. Big guys, these wide receivers take time to mature and even if he busts out, man, you can always wonder about development like when a guy is thrust into a role and asked to play way above his head and no doubt that's what happened to, to J.J. Arthega Whiteside last year. For sure. But, it, but if he, he can show improvement and hold off John Hightower, Marquise Goodwin, Quez Watkins, if he can hold off all those guys, that outside wide receiver position will be valuable. They'll see some schemed up deep shots and I'm still chasing that 2017 season from Wentz, right? I mean, everybody is, but... Oh, yeah. When, and he's thrown over 60 deep attempts three times in his career already and he was an elite deep ball passer that year in 2017 mm-hmm. yeah i love that man you know that i'm chasing that 2017 carson wentz season as well so uh yeah i think it could potentially come together in the future for jay jaw i think i'm buying the young guys for dynasty but i'm not necessarily buying alshon or d jackson redraft necessarily so uh yeah for me it's a really hard group to to buy into behind uh, zach Ertz and miles sanders especially for 2020, but I'm looking at those dynasty pieces because they're pretty cheap right now. And this is an offense that we want. So uh, yeah, I'll take, I'll take the young guys, Jay jaw, you know, he's super cheap. He's almost free right now. So to add to, to the back of your roster as one of those prospects who might have a future, he, it could be worse. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of X factors that could emerge from this offense. That's what makes it so tough. And you know, I love Johnny Hightower. That's kind of my guy. So I think he's the one who will be running a lot of those go routes, uh, Mac Holland style, Tory Smith style. I think he should also get some carries out of that, <laughs> out of the backfield as well. Trav, what do you think? Let's go to another really difficult situation. One that a lot of people have very uh, different thoughts about. So let's go to New England. Let's talk about Julian Edelman and Inkeel Harry. 
I think Julian Edelman should still provide some stability to a wide receiver room for fantasy teams, and then Inkeel Harry is the breakout candidate. I think the boring fact that Edelman could still be very useful is more likely uh, than Inkeel Harry having a big breakout out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. So this offense will just, they're going to have a hard time producing both of those options. You know what I mean? And Harry definitely will start putting some production on paper here. And I am a huge fan of the talent. And hopefully with uh, poor quarterback play in New England, they scheme ways to get the ball in both of these wide receivers hands and quickly and often. Um, But what do you think New England does, Trav? Do you think it will be a structured ground and pound offense like old school football? Uh, Do you you know, they definitely have the defense and the coaching staff to accomplish that. But do you think they'll let uh, Jared Stedham try at all? That's what I'm asking. I think in in certain spots they might, but I think that'll be very selective. And I think, like you said, they're going to ride that defense and they're going to ride the running game as well. I think Sony Michelle could be um, decent for 2020, actually, for that fact that I think he's going to be punching some punching some touchdowns in at the goal line. And then I think Damian Harris could um, at least show his head at some point this season, right? We didn't see much from him last year. So uh, I think we're going to see them run the ball quite a bit. We've seen Billy lean towards the run earlier in the Brady era, maybe. Um, And then those dink and dunk short targets is definitely what, uh, what's going to happen. Somebody has got to soak up the targets. Here is the thing. And I think Edelman's going to be the main guy. And then Nikhil Harry does have a little bit of red zone upside uh, if they decide to throw the ball down there. So it's an interesting group to look at because we've never we've never seen this offense without Tom Brady. But they definitely have previously been predicated on the the short, quick passes. And I think that's going to that's going to show as well in, in the passing game this season. It's just not going to be nearly as efficient. And it's not one that we're going to want to buy at the later prices, right? Like Edelman's going late. We're going to get a PPR season out of him, sure, but it's not anything that's going to be, you know, a key piece on your roster. And then Nikhil Harry, I have a hard time just because of the Stidham factor, and I don't really know what's happening. I could see this being Bill Belichick just throwing a big tank job on the NFL and then flipping the bird as he gets Trevor Lawrence high in the draft next year or something like that. But I don't know. I don't know if the defense is is really going to let them be that bad because their defense is so good. But it's just a hard one to decipher for me, so I'm not really super in on them. Yeah, and they're, they're going to want to keep that defense off the field as much as possible, if you know what I mean. Like, they're not going to want to roll out that defense to perform at an elite level uh, drive after drive. So I think New England will still be running lots of plays and keeping teams off balance with that spectacular play calling. And I think Edelman is still value for 2020. The health and age are my only concerns, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's ECR, like expert consensus ranking. He's the wide receiver 32. So wide receiver three still in the market. The market still likes Julian Edelman, and he's being drafted as the wide receiver 35. So I'm still down with Edelman. He's been a wide receiver one in points per game his whole career. I'm not sure just because mm-hmm. Big Brother Brady is gone. He just goes from top 15 wide receiver to an unstartable asset. And if he's not old as fuck in 2020 and he is healthy, I'd say the Pats, he's the Pats' best player on offense still. And he suits an offense that has poor quarterback play. I think Inkeel Harry mm-hmm. is the much more difficult conversation, but like my ranks would say I'm a bit high on Edelman for redraft above consensus in Dynasty for Inkeel Harry. But I'm not chasing either of the players in this passing game for now. I expect them to run the ball a ton and throw to the running backs and use their tight ends more as well. You mentioned it. Damien Harris, he's the best buy on this team, in my opinion, and maybe the only guy sure. ever target in drafts as well because it's likely a gross three-man committee there. But I think the sea change is real in New England. We've talked about the difference in the last couple of years for fantasy compared to the years before in New England, but now it just continues to trend down. Like, New England isn't a team you want to attach to for fantasy purposes anymore, not until mm-hmm. they have a new quarterback 
quarterback in place. And as for Nkeel, I don't know. I mean, Harry was brought along extremely slow. He was outsnapped by Jacoby Myers even last year. Like, I really liked Nkeel Harry as a prospect. The college football stuff was immaculate. His size, speed score, we just worried a bit about separation. And then when he was drafted right away in training camp, New England seemed to have issues finding how best to use him. And we know the Patriots, they will only use a player if they know how he will succeed, right? And that's how Harry ended up being out-targeted by Edelman, James White, Philip Dorsett, Mohamed Sanu half a season, Jacoby Myers, Burkhead, Josh Gordon. Uh, plus, yeah, and Keel Harry only caught half his targets and wasn't even able to showcase his yards after the catch ability in his rookie year. So lots of those names I mentioned there, they are gone. But yeah, Tom Brady is too. And Harry, like Harry mm-hmm. could triple his production and be below 50 catches and still not fantasy viable. Also, you know, kind of like Marvin Jones, Harry will have a lot of support, a lot of publicity behind him in fantasy. Um I want to ask you something, Trav. We probably agree that Edelman is the lock to be the number one priority in the passing game, but he is so old. He has barely played without Big Brother Tom. I was wondering, with Tom gone, do you think James White is locked in as the number two priority? I think he's probably got to be, right? We're, we're not saying Nikhil Harry's going to be the number two priority as far as, as far as target volume. And then Stidham, he's going to need to rely on a safety net. And we're not sure what their tight end room necessarily looks like with those rookies coming in. Um, so I think James White kind of has to be the second priority because he's going to be a safety net. The Patriots always go back to that James White well, and it works, right? So I, I think, yeah, you're definitely right. I think he's going to be the second option for me. What do you think? Well, yeah, I think it's kind of open season. Like James White was the only Patriot besides Edelman over 60 targets last year, and he had almost 100. He's also just two seasons removed from that outlier year where he had like 140 targets led the team but mm-hmm. it's kind of a bold statement to suggest he won't be the top target the number two target but with the ambiguity you know especially even with the ambiguity behind him but my whole thing here is that it really is up for de- uh, debate they they want to justify that second round pick spent on Muhammad Sadu. maybe he's the guy you know there's just so many mm-hmm. different ways I could look at it hopefully Harry is that guy but that's asking a lot but yeah James White and Muhammad Sanu both their contracts expire at the end of the year as well so they shouldn't have undying allegiances to to either of those two players, but I just really don't feel confident saying anybody besides Edelman will get close to 100 targets. And I, I, basically what I'm saying is James White should continue to fall down. I just think uh, no matter what the running back market share stands to be, I do think that continues to be spread out as well. And we have to remember a name like J.J. Nelson and Rex Burkhead still there as well. I think the upside is just gone from the passing game in New England. And while I don't dislike him for fantasy, you know, uh, Inkiel Harry, Uh, For Dynasty, I just think we could have to continue to wait for this entire passing game in New England. But yeah, maybe some value to mine in that running game still. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. I like like what you said there that we're we're just going to have to play the waiting game with Nikhil Harry and on the back of that offense, I'm, I'm not necessarily waiting for that. So I like how you put that. All right, Ty, so we're talking about situations ch 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 changing There may not be another wide receiver who had more target competition come into the offense than Cortland Sutton. Come on, come on. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. Uh, Jerry Judy was drafted in the first round of the NFL draft, and then they doubled up and took K.J. Hamler in the second in, uh, in Denver, so... Some weapons coming in for Drew Locke to work with. Cortland Sutton had a big year last year when we were looking for that ascension. Do you think he is like majorly hurt by those guys coming in, or what do you think for, for Cortland Sutton? 
Uh, it's weird, right? Like, he's considered a loser, for sure, post-NFL draft. He he was overvalued, I thought, in his rookie season, undervalued going into last season, but as soon as he hit, everybody was on board, right? Now, I'm probably back mm-hmm. to being sort of low on him for fantasy. Uh, I'm not sure where he ranks amongst the 2018 wide receiver class, you know what I mean? But I really like Cortland Sutton. He He's he's one of the best from that 2018 class that we like. And in 2019, he looked like that alpha wide receiver he was pegged to become. But after drafting Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Alberto, uh, Alberto, I'm not going to try it. Uh, the conversation is <laughs> it's pretty hard to have, I think. Like, where do you value him, especially in Dynasty? Also, the existing guys like Noah Fant, Philip Lindsay, and the the not new new running back Melvin Gordon, plus a new system coming in on offense. There's a lot up in the air for this offense that all relies on Drew Locke, too. By the way, so year three, uh, year three for Cortland Sutton instead of like a cemented status as an upper echelon wide receiver like we expected, he he kind of ends up being one of the most puzzling guys for fantasy this year. So, like, I guess my first question that I want to sort out is, Trav, say you draft Cortland Sutton, are you comfortable starting Cortland Sutton against the top? Say he has a very tough matchup that week. Is he still, is he on that level where you're going to set and forget? Or is it going to be, is it going too far to say he's a guy you might end up benching in your lineups is what I'm asking. Uh, Well, that's a tricky one, right? Because where you're drafting him, you're hoping that you can set and forget Cortland Sutton, right? But I'm not sure it's going to be super consistent week to week uh, just because the Drew Locke factor, we don't necessarily know what he's going to look like coming in as the full-time starter. And then, you know, Jerry Judy is potentially going to take a bunch of targets in the slot. So I think Pat Shermer previously, um, he's the offensive coordinator there. Pat Shermer has previously hovered around 600 pass attempts, so like 575 or so in his previous stops. Uh, And I think if I'm projecting that, I think Cortland Sutton is probably pretty safe because I don't think they're going to be throwing a bunch of balls to all three of those running backs. And then Noah Fant, for me, I think he's kind of a maybe a lower target um, needs to create on his own kind of guy in order to be what we want. So I think Cortland Sutton... I think he is kind of safe, but that's um, I say that a little sketchily because I I would like it to be that way, but it could just as easily go the other way where it's just a messy spread out offense with Drew Locke. Maybe uh, maybe if Drew Locke doesn't progress like a lot of people think he's gonna gonna do, I think that takes a big hit for Cortland Sutton as well because he needs he needs those deep balls, he needs the contested catch stuff in order to to hit what he hit last year as well. Yeah, I mean, like, Denver's going to be a far more efficient offense, but Sutton had such a stranglehold on the volume in this offense last year. They had the worst wide receiver depth in football. You mentioned they have the most targets coming in for competition for Cortland Sutton. He probably had the least competition last year for targets in all of the NFL. He saw almost 120 targets last year. Nobody else on Denver broke 60 targets. Cortland Sutton had over 35% of the yards, uh, receiving yards in in Denver. That was second in the NFL for yardage market share. Now we have three or four significant pieces coming into this offense and only Devontae Booker leaving, by the way. So they have no work left over from last (laughs) season and the quarterback is still Drew Locke and Nick Fangio is still a defensive-minded head coach. Pat Shermer, the OC, he's not a world beater either. I know he's pass heavy and everything and and he does have fans. I just don't think he's a transcendent offensive play caller by any means. So just from a volume standpoint, I think Cortland Sutton is a bit capped now. I still think he, like, what he built with Drew Locke and how dominant he is, also how different he profiles from both Hamler and Jerry Judy. Like, he still stands to be the priority number one ahead of Judy, even if the volume gets close between those two. Like you said, like, Sutton should be in line for the most valuable work in this passing game. 
but the value could be diminished a bit. I think the upside for really those big weeks is basically gone. You know, he's he's lacked those as it is, actually. He actually only has two games in his career. 32 games played now for Cortland Sutton, just two games over 100 yards receiving, which kind of just shows how hmm. ugly his situation has been. Uh, and another scare tactic for Cortland Sutton is not a scare tactic. It's a strength of schedule, and it is the reason that I am fading Cortland Sutton to an extent. They have one of the worst strength schedules versus the pass. You hear a lot about strength of schedule, but it's the outliers we should pay attention to, right? And Cortland Sutton is that outlier at wide receiver this year, probably. He starts the season versus Richard Sherman in the 49ers, has the Bears week two, Jalen Ramsey shadow on the road in week three versus the Rams. We'll see how Patrick Peterson shapes up against Cortland Sutton week four. Then he has the Titans, Steelers, Bucks, all below average matchups. Patriots after that will send out Stephon Gilmore against them. Then he gets the Chargers. Maybe Chris Harris covers him twice this year, actually. Mm-hmm. Either way, that <laughs> matchup's always going to suck against the Chargers. Um, he gets Marshawn Lattimore and the Saints and Tredavious White and the Bills. So pretty much the worst possible schedule, like every top yeah, five cover brutal. corner in the NFL, he plays, maybe the top seven. <laughs> um, and it's funny, Cortland <laughs> Sutton led the NFL in pass interference penalties against and accrued yardage last year. He probably will do that again when you look at that stud set of corners that he faces and, and how smart cornerbacks are. So my hope for Cortland Sutton anyways, mm-hmm. long story short, is that he will compile sort of, you know what I mean? He should end up in 2020 top 15 in deep targets air yards possibly red zone targets too so still some upside for sure but that would be on the back like everything is going to be on the back of more efficiency which is what we expect with all these pieces being introduced to the offense the surroundings are just so much better compared to last season so trav drop bottom number do you think Cortland sutton is a top 20 wide receiver in 2020 2020 yeah, I think he can definitely be a top 20 wide receiver. I would I would put him in there in my rankings for 2020. And I think, uh, like you said, the red zone upside and the deep passing upside is just something that I can still see myself getting in on with Cortland Sutton. Uh, because I think Drew Locke, uh, he does have a strong arm and could be a, have a little bit of gunslinger to him. So I think that could play well into into Cortland Sutton's game. So I'm buying top 20. You buying top 20? Yeah, I'm kind of selling on top 20. I I have him as my wide receiver 23, so on the cusp there, still consider him a wide receiver 2. It's just that the startability, right? I'm going to have a hard time starting Cortland Sutton as my wide receiver 2 because of that really, really tough strength schedule and because they have all these weapons that they'll have no problem going to uh, when Cortland Sutton's bottled up. So his post-draft ADP, is he's still going as a top 20 wide receiver, and he's right around wide receiver 20 in expert consensus rankings. So... You know, I I like Cortland Sutton, but he's kind of a guy where I'll want to add him, you know, the deeper down my wide receiver list he is, the better. So I think Cortland Sutton's kind of a juicy zero RB target if you catch my drift. And that's kind of just the way I I feel about him. And it's just more the names around him, right? Like there's Mm -hmm. Allen Robinson, you have Amari Cooper, Juju (laughs) Smith-Schuster, the Seattle boys, DK and Lockett. You have Cooper Cup and Bobby from LA, even Calvin Ridley. And yeah, Calvin Ridley might be a good place to stop. Like that's fantasy for me 101. I'd, I'd take Cortland Sutton 10 times out of 10 in real life. But for fantasy for 2020, I'll, I'll take Calvin Ridley over him. Even Adam Thielen, Terry McLaurin, my dream boat, those, that guy's in uh, the same tier as Cortland Sutton for me. Yeah, I think I like most of those guys over Cortland Sutton for this year. So I think we're in a bit of a Drew Locke step there, my mm-hmm. man. So Trav, another guy who kind of enters this same, uh, this same tier and he's aging, it's Keenan Allen. If there is one player this year I have the least interest in, quote, figuring out, it's Keenan Allen. I don't know why. I just, I could care less about Keenan Allen. (laughs) 
Where, where are you on Keenan Allen? <laughs> That's funny that you say that, actually, because I mentioned that I went on the British Ballers podcast earlier, and uh, that was one of the situations that we talked about. We were talking rookies versus vets, uh, and we also did a part where they wanted me to give somebody who I'm avoiding, and my avoid was Keenan Allen. I just think, you know, everything's been real rosy for him in the past with Philip Rivers there. Uh, Philip Rivers is no longer there. Tyrod Taylor comes in, which to me immediately lowers the passing volume. Justin Herbert coming in, we don't know. He's still a little bit raw. He's got some work to do, and we don't know where the chemistry is going to be at. So I'm totally with you. Like, I'm I'm just kind of avoiding Keenan Allen because I think that volume is going to come down. I mean, the Chargers were throwing the ball 37 times a game last year, and I don't think that's going to happen, especially with Tyrod, potentially with Herbert, but I still don't think they're going to have a rookie quarterback throwing that much especially with such a good defense. So for Keenan Allen, he's been top 12 the last three seasons, but that's on the back of 130 plus targets every single year. And I don't think he's going to have that. So uh, that's kind of why I'm avoiding Keenan Allen. Um, what's uh, what's stuck in your craw when it comes to Keenan Allen out in Los Angeles? Yeah, I mean, it is just the changing of the guard and the quarterback situation. I mean, we have no idea when Justin Herbert will be ready, right? And we also don't have the utmost confidence in his abilities in the passing game anyways. And if we own Justin Herbert in Dynasty Superflex Leagues, we like the upside he has with his legs, the athleticism and explosiveness we've talked a lot about all the comings and goings in LA we said it's a new age and not to be confused with us thinking this team will start making the clutch field goals or that they have that home field advantage I think it's just going to be a very slow offense one designing runs for the quarterback and leaning on the running back position a lot and the defense should be the ultimate strength of this team in 2020 so there's also a ton of players to incorporate in this offense right Keenan Allen isn't old by any means but his long-standing priority has been tied to Philip Rivers like you said and there's there's just a lot of young blood here and I just think his three his three straight seasons have been consistent high in production that that happened for Keenan Allen in an offense that just won't exist anymore though and I mean it might it's just going to be in Indianapolis but Keenan Allen was very good in that time like he dispelled any silly durability narratives he was a wide receiver one for fantasy last three years straight but also he's had brutal stretches inside of seasons where he just kills you for weeks at a time too and and that really scares me those are the stretches that could be prolonged in this new offense and you know, if, if you wanted the, the upside for Keenan, I mean, you look since 2017, he is the wide receiver seven in points per game for PPR leagues. He ranks top five in targets, catches, and receiving yards over that stretch. But like you said, it's because he's been blessed and except for a situation coming apart, of course. Now this year, he hasn't been, that's, that's not the greatest news for him, but the players around him probably dictate how Keenan's season goes. And I think that's interesting because of Philip Rivers. That's probably an alien concept for Keenan Allen. He's always been the alpha in this offense, always been the go-to guy outside of like Antonio Gates but with all the change I think that could be part of it Keenan Allen's uh Keenan Allen's role I think Austin Eckler could could become the focal point of this offense or at least like the running back position entirely um Trav what do you think Mm -hmm. the impact is of losing a quarterback you've spent your entire career with like am I being too dramatic or like where are you happy taking Keenan Allen in drafts uh it's hard like I said I'm avoiding him and I think uh I think it's definitely got a lot of merit when you lose a quarterback that you've been with for your whole career somebody who was the the commander of the offense essentially right Philip Rivers was established by the time that Keenan Allen had gotten there uh and they just hit the ground running from pretty much day one so I think there is definitely 
definitely a big hit for him in that and he's gonna have to learn the tendencies of another quarterback he's probably gonna have to do some more blocking out there with uh, Tyrod Taylor and those design runs that you mentioned and potentially Herbert too as well so I think he's he's gonna feel that pretty pretty big and I like what you said there it's interesting because when you look at the running back position um, obviously they re-upped with Austin Eckler to be kind of the focal point but you would have thought that they would have add some, added somebody else if they were going to rely really heavily on the running back position in general so right now you've got Joshua Kelly and Justin Jackson so I guess maybe we're going to see those two guys get used pretty well I think this could be a sneaky place for them to bring in another running back and that would kind of cement that for me that they are going to use these running backs as the focal point so I think there's going to be some targets to be had but I just I don't necessarily know that they're not going to be spread out and maybe not the most um, lucrative touches like what we've seen from this offense in the past yeah I just think we're going to notice all the weapons all of a sudden and there's not going to be enough for them to go around anymore whereas Keenan Allen was the result he was the reason why there wasn't enough to go around for somebody like Mike Williams but you know he's very talented mm-hmm. and his skill set aligns best with Tyrod what Tyrod Taylor does and then there's Hunter Henry he's yeah. a very talented tight end still coming into his own still vaunting for that true breakout season and if you ask me I think they drafted Keenan Allen's replacement I'm not saying he's entering his twilight years but for the sake of argument if he was to fall off in the next few years they drafted KJ Hill who is you know he's a really good slot wide receiver option in this draft class they also added Joe Reed too who you know sky's Mm -hmm. the limit I love him minus the athleticism Uh, either way Keenan Allen he's been very relying on volume and chemistry the latter is definitely gone and the former I just you know we worry it gets scaled back because of the run volume and coaching here coming I also wonder, you know, I think where we'll see the biggest difference and where we'll see the priority really shift is in the red zone. I mean, Keenan Allen has seen as much as Mike Williams and Hunter Henry combined in the red zone. And that just doesn't that that doesn't make any sense to me. So no, I, totally. I definitely see Mike Williams and Hunter Henry kind of building a better rapport with uh, whoever the quarterback ends up being in 2020 in the red zone compared to Keenan Allen, who's had that built in from Philip Rivers from from before. Yeah, I like it, man. I like it. It's going to be a little bit more spread out and uh, it's going to be some new chemistry forming. So it's going to be interesting to watch because like like you mentioned, there are some weapons on this team, right? There are some pieces. So it'll be a, a cool one to watch form because this could easily switch back into an offense that we have confidence in if, if you know, Justin Herbert gets in there and he hits his stride and he's, he's exciting and he shows off that arm talent. So one to keep an eye on, but not one that I'm in on, um, much like all the stuff we laid out, not one that we're going for just yet. Yeah, just another guy who's tough to take with the names around him, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ty. So this next guy, uh, Debo Samuel, we're going to talk a little bit of Debo. He had one of your favorite wide receivers from the draft. I think it's safe to say came in Brandon Ayuk drafted in the first round. The San Francisco 49ers traded up for him. So Debo, you know, took a theoretical hit there with Ayuk's selection. Uh, What do you think the impact there is? And do you think Debo is Debo taking a leap like a lot of people are expecting this year? What do you think? uh, What do you think that volume looks like for Debo with Ayuk coming in? Yeah, well, his ADP is definitely sliding a bit uh, post-NFL draft for Debo. I'm not really sure. I don't consider him a loser. It's more we expected he would be a big winner or a hot sophomore wide receiver to draft, but then they went and added mm-hmm. Brennan Ayuk. The quick note is that you can draft a first-round wide receiver in the NFL draft in Brennan Ayuk outside of first rounds and rookie drafts. That's free math. And exactly. Goat District, he just had Jordan McNamara on. He is the fucking man when it comes to rookie hit rates and ADP and all that, so look him up if you're interested in that kind of stuff. Um, but clearly 
the 49ers love Brendan Ayuk. They made him a, a higher priority than they did Debo Samuel the year before. And in the long term, if the draft capital does say it, the, t- the team did at their post, uh, post-draft post press conference, they see Ayuk above Debo as an every-down player. But I think I'll talk lots of Ayuk this offseason, and you asked about Debo. So I think he should be fine. I mean, San Francisco loses Matt Breida. They did not bring in a big-name running back at all. Only a couple of UDFAs at the running back position. So I I, I do think maybe they're kind of just a land of misfit toys led by Raheem the Dream, the Mustard Tiger. But I think they will just let Ayuk, George Kiddo, and Debo Samuel become extensions of the running game, you know? The 49ers are just set up to throw the ball a ton, short, quick throws, and they'll allow their three Mm -hmm. best weapons to excel after the catch. And all three of them, are yak specialists so i mean kittle is on another level debo looked like he's pretty close himself and we'll see Ayuk mm-hmm. is much of the same so we we did hit this and talked about just how run heavy this team was but also how different this team became once they traded for emmanuel sanders last year just a complete 180 just not in their schemes and personnel so Ayuk, he was also compared to sanders by myself pre-draft physically and by shanahan in the post-draft press conference schematically and in reference to the role he plays so I think Debo is hurt in the sense where he's not going to be run out there as the one wide receiver on the field you know what I mean that will be Brandon Ayuk but I'm not sure if that'll be right away but yeah Debo we could look at it like this we just want the team to be humming right and Debo to be bringing something to the table last year Debo was far better with Emmanuel Sanders beside him than he was without in the five games without him Debo scored under eight points per game in PPR with Sanders in the lineup Debo was over 15 points per game and really it just goes to show he wasn't used like nobody nobody was really in the passing game in the first you know five games of the season because Kittle is unequivocally the top option in the passing game But once they worked him into the game plan, Debo Samuel, once Sanders took pressure off him as a team's top wide receiver, I think Debo Samuel really found his game. So I'm not really worried. He should just be a back-end wide receiver too, right? Like, do you think he falls beyond the top 24 wide receivers? Um, I, you know, I think that's probably the, the push point for me is right around 24. I don't think he's far behind it, but I think, you know, he could be in that, you know, 24 to 30 area potentially. I think he's still going to have some good solid weeks. I just think, um, kind of like you said, these guys all do similar things and George, George Kittle is the main target. I think the off season and mentioned it earlier, but the fact that these guys aren't going to have a full off season together is definitely a factor in, uh, Debo maybe getting the nod, uh, at the the start but I think like you said Brandon Ayuk is going to work in there and he is going to be one of those short target uh, yards after the catch guys as well so I think Debo is going to be useful and could be that top 24 guy uh, but I think we just have to temper the the volume expectation because of the run heaviness and because they brought in another weapon that does what he did so I think he's going to be efficient on his targets maybe not up to last year's level because his yak per reception was nuts last year but mm-hmm. I think he's he's got the skill set to be one of those guys who continuously does it at a high clip, even if it's not the, you know, the crazy clip like it was last year. So um, I think, yeah, exactly. As a back back wide receiver two, early wide receiver three, I think he's going to be a useful guy for teams. Yeah, like you said, he's not going to have that huge blow-up season. Like, he's not going to have 10 touchdowns. He won't have that 1,200-yard season. He's still used in so many gadgety ways, you know, but the coach we should call Inspector Gadget play because he's, he's so good at using players in that fashion. Um, so... I do want to see that wide receiver two season without three rushing touchdowns. You know what I mean? Like the three rushing touchdowns are hard to repeat. So I want to see him do it on just passing volume. But you mentioned it, man. I recognize how good he is at what he's asked to do. And that's 
excel after the catch and you said the eight and a half yards after the catch per reception Mm -hmm. um we talk yards after the catch per reception a lot it just says that every time Debo catches the ball he averaged eight and a half yards on his own afterwards yeah and Trav among all wide receivers last year with 50 plus targets that ranks second best any guess who was first who was one of if not the most efficient wide receivers last year another rookie you said 50 catches though minimum 50 targets targets this guy was game scripted uh, out of his playoff game was it hardman it was not it was aj no, brown hardman oh, okay yeah because hardman had less than 50 yeah, yeah but he, he had a crazy after the catch per reception too mm-hmm. um yeah aj brown i love and him. people can't get over <laughs> aj brown's yards after the catch per reception but debo is pretty close behind him my favorite part of debo's profile now though is the best indicator is success as a rookie right and he was an older prospect he had a few blow-up games in his rookie season and i expect that to kind of snowball into a really good career he, he can certainly enter the conversation for for who leads the 49ers in red zone targets as well in 2020 we know George Kittle has not been able to excel in that area of the field and we know that uh, mm-hmm. Brendan Ayuk comes in as a rookie so a lot of reasons to argue for Debo but are you taking him in say the top five rounds of drafts that's really drafting him as a starter essentially yeah, that's a little bit too high for me, I think. I think at that point, I want somebody who's going to be giving me consistent uh, volume and somebody who I'm I'm hoping for 100, 120 plus targets. And I'm not sure Debo is going to get there. So top five rounds is a little bit high for me, Debo, for Debo. And I'll probably let others take him there and then I'll get whatever falls. Okay, Trav. So really quick before we move on, I want to give you an either or for Debo Samuel because I have him ranked pretty high here. All right. All right. So either or Debo or Stefan Diggs. Uh, Stefan Diggs. DJ Chark or Debo Samuel? DJ Chark. T.Y. Hilton. Oh, gross. Gross. Give me Debo just because, I don't know. <laughs> just give me Debo. <laughs> what about Tyler Boyd? Uh, who with Joe Burrow coming in. That's a really tricky one. Um, uh, give me Tyler Boyd. Me too. What about Devontae Parker? Ooh. That's a really that's, tough one. That's for me. an that's another really close one. Um definitely gonna uh, depend we talked about Parker. Yeah, it's definitely gonna depend on your roster construction probably at that point. What kind of profile yeah, wide receiver sure. you're looking for, for sure. Give me Debo though, sure. Yeah. And I think that's what I was getting at there is Tyler Boyd and Debo Samuel are going to stick out in that tier for me if I need uh, some targets on my team. If I'm looking for upside, Stefan Diggs and DJ Chark are the picks for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking yeah, of upside, Trav, let's go to the guy who has nothing but upside attached to him. Hollywood Brown, Marquise Brown, the Baltimore Ravens sort of slot wide receiver. What do you yeah. think about Hollywood? <laughs> yeah, one, one of their slot wide receivers. Um, I love Hollywood. Let me start by saying that he's just like an electric player. He's attached to a great offense. I just worry about the volume for Hollywood Brown. He had, I believe it was 71 targets last year in the Ravens offense. And, you know, there could be a little bit of an uptick in that, but I don't think it's going to be much higher than that because uh, they're just not going to pass the ball that much. They've got J.K. Dobbins in there to add to Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, Justice Hill. We know that they're going to be a run first team. Uh, Mark Andrews is going to be their number one target. And I think um, Hollywood Brown's going to get some of those spike weeks, some of that best ball stuff like we like to see on our best ball rosters. 
but I don't know if he's going to be a consistent option where I'm going to say that Hollywood Brown's going to be, you know, a top 24 wide receiver because I don't think he's going to get that unless he gets a bunch of big touchdowns. So I I love the player, but I'm I'm not on him for that top 24 price. Where are you at with uh, with Hollywood? Well, I, I definitely like Hollywood Brown. I am a huge fan of the talent. Uh, he's a wide receiver I could have had in the tier above, you know, but it's a slippery slope because then I have to add Will Fuller and then I'm adding Deontay Johnson and then... <laughs> Anyways, wrong AFC North team, but Hollywood has to be a loser to an extent post NFL draft. Kind of similar to Debo, though. His career arc or like a healthy Hollywood could have a similar season to what we saw from him as a rookie. You know what I mean? And that's the big question. Will it be a limited sample size again or not? Because his talent is unquestionable. Uh, it's the durability. But beyond that, it's the size. Hollywood, he's under 170 pounds. And wide receiver one seasons for fantasy, they do not happen for guys that small. Actually, the last time a wide receiver who weighed 170 pounds or less had a 1,000-yard receiving season was 1991. Nobody 170 pounds or lighter has hit a modest 700 yards receiving in the last 20 years. All that's uh, wow. according to Pro Football Reference Season Finder, by the way. Um, so the size is a real concern, and it's shown to be for him staying healthy, right? Like that Liz Frank injury is no joke, and it often requires a second surgery. And mm-hmm. the other concern has nothing to do with Hollywood, just his situation. Last year, the Baltimore Ravens wide receivers had 1,400 receiving yards. That was the lowest by a wide receiver group combined since 2011 in the last decade. And yeah, they were the worst fantasy team for a wide receiver last season. If you said... I want my wide receiver on this team. The last team he would have picked last year would have been the Baltimore Ravens, just under mm-hmm. 23 PPR points per game, even better than the even worse than the Philadelphia Eagles. Sorry, <laughs> um, they also had fewer yeah. targets as a position uh, than Michael Thomas had by himself. They 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 split just over 11 targets per game. Like that is really bad. Like the Baltimore Ravens yeah. as a wide receiver position had just 11 targets per game. And with that in mind, Crazy. with Mark Andrews supposedly taking another step as well, now Baltimore added J.K. Dobbins to perpetuate the super ultra exotic Smash Mouth offense, and they also added two <laughs> players in the in the Devin Duvernay <laughs> and James Proch who play exclusively out of the slot. So I'm gonna stop there Trav and ask you who the hell plays in the slot for for Baltimore it has to be Devin Duvernay right uh it's yeah I mean if they're gonna kick Hollywood outside at all it's got to be Devin Duvernay for me but I think it's gonna be Hollywood but then I wonder you know like you said the 11 targets for wide receivers a game it's just it's just muddy it just feels really muddy and it sucks because we wanted to see Hollywood you know get those targets and be able to have those big plays like we saw from him a bit last year so uh, I think if it's not Hollywood in the slot then it's going to be Devin Duvernay I really like Devin Duvernay in that role as well so it's got me a little bit torn to be honest with you um, but yeah it's going to be a tough one to decipher because Proch is pretty good there as well so and then Mark Andrews plays out of the slot a ton as well exactly. so they got four targets that are going to play out of the slot. Well, you're so. forgetting the guy who played the most out of the slot last year, and he's still there, and that's Willie Sneed. He played a ton. He played 250 <laughs> oh, yeah. snaps from the slot, 80% of his snaps. So just to run this down really quick, Sneed played almost 80% of his snaps from the slot. Mark Andrews played 65% of his snaps from the slot. Over 50% of his production across the board, far more than that, came out of the slot. Hollywood Brown only played 37% of the snaps out of the slot. Mm. However, six of his seven touchdowns came from playing out of the slot, which was actually tied for the first uh, first in the NFL for most uh, touchdowns out of the slot. Then you also had Nick Boyle and Hayden Hurst also playing a ton of snaps out of the slot relative to their to their snap total. So everybody's playing in the slot. Now you have Devin Duvernay. Now you have James Pro. So I'm with you, man. I think it is 
sort of Devin Duvernay and then Mark Andrews 1-2 and then Willie Sneed hopefully they just throw him outside he has played with the Saints he played as an outside wide receiver Mm -hmm. so hopefully that happens and just to get back to Hollywood Brown I think the upside is huge like in this offense I don't want to miss out on the blow up of the proportion that it could be because of the talent because of the offense and I think this offense should stay upper echelon efficiency wise like the run game will dominate but so much Mm -hmm. so that it'll be in concert with such good play calling the passing game should still get an advantage right I mean Baltimore led the NFL in points per game touchdowns on offense points per drive red zone trips and red zone touchdowns last year so Hollywood has a path to give us some big blow up weeks so I guess the big question is, do you think he plays on like 60% of snaps or do you think he's going to be under that? Because he was barely over 50% of the snaps last year. And then do you think he's going to have, say, 90 targets? He was at 76 last year. 76, yeah. I said 71 earlier, so I was mistaken there. But Oh, you uh, never know. Wherever you're don't grabbing th- targets from, who the fuck knows? Yeah, for <laughs> sure. No, that's I just pulled it off of my head, so I trust yours more than mine, to be honest with you, buddy. <laughs> so uh, I think uh, – I don't think we're projecting 90 targets for Hollywood by any means. Damn it. Um, I think <laughs> – yeah, I know. I feel the same, dude. Um, <clears throat> sorry, what was, what was the other question there? Uh, 90 targets, 60% snaps, which I think are synonymous, right? Like if he gets 60% snaps, it's probably because he stayed healthy and he's probably seen 90 yeah. targets. I just wonder if they kind of try and facilitate him more after the catch, like get him a little bit, uh, you know, the ball quickly in space and see what he can do because he is pretty electric. And you know, I just think mm-hmm. volume, you know, if he, just a little bit of volume is all he needs to pay off his ADP at this price right now. And if he sees those totals, it means he did stay moderately healthy and he did play over half the snaps and, you know, Lamar Lamar Jackson had a top five quarterback rating when targeting him last year, so we know the the connection is already strong, and you know it's, it makes us forget all about John Brown, <laughs> which is yeah. funny. It's like my one knock against Marquise last year was like, well, remember the John Brown connection with Lamar wasn't very good, <laughs> but that connection was totally. very good last year. So I, I I have a lot of interest in Marquise Hollywood Brown because he's really not that expensive right now. Mm-hmm. True that. True that. If you can get him at a good price, I think you definitely take that shot because it's another offense that we want pieces of. Uh, and yeah, I just I just think it's a little bit muddy. So we got to make sure we don't let our expectations get too high uh, because Lamar Jackson did throw 36 touchdowns last year as well. I'm not so sure that that happens again. Um, so as a team, I think the passing touchdowns might come down as well. So mm-hmm. I think Hollywood's an interesting player for for a good price. Um, but not somebody that I'm going to be taking at like surefire top 24. Yeah, uh, you nailed it. Like Lamar, we'll get into that throughout this offseason. Like that touchdown rate, some of the historic numbers he put up are really going to come down, especially in the red zone for uh, the passing game. But overall, there really is only one player in this offense who's really going to dominate down the field. Like I know Mark Andrews, hopefully, because we know his snaps out of the slot will be diminished. But I think him and Marquise Hollywood Brown are the only players who can operate in the intermediate of the field. And Marquise Hollywood Brown is definitely going to dominate on the deep targets. And, uh, you know, he's the definition of a player who one play can make your week. And the big point with Marquise Hollywood Brown, my big point with a lot of these players is you can whiff on a sixth round pick, seventh round pick, eighth Mm -hmm. round pick. It doesn't matter. The difference is you just need to make sure you don't have Will Fuller on that team screwing you at the same time, right? Like it's all about roster construction. You can whiff on these picks and they're very much worth it if they hit. Yeah, I like that, Ty. Um, you know, you can take a little bit more risk in the mid rounds of your draft if you just make sure you get some of these guys that can blow up and insulate those picks in the back part of the part of the draft. So I like how you put that there. 
And on that note, man, that's that's all we got for this show sheet. So we ran through quite a few wide receiver situations there. Um, I just want to plug a couple things real quick before we hit the ride out here, Ty. Uh, one thing I do want to say is that another wide receiver situation that you actually broke down was on Twitter. You had this wicked thread that you put out there on uh, on the Los Angeles Rams with Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. That was a really sweet look. So any anybody who wants a good dive in on the Rams wide receiver position, which is a really lucrative one, I might not might add uh you're gonna want to go check out ty's twitter at tnff tyrell because he's always got banger stats like that i mentioned at the top that he's got those fat stats with a ph and that thread brings just that ty so uh yeah i know uh i know it's weird when somebody toots your own horn there but uh i'm gonna toot yours a little bit my man so sorry about that (laughs) (laughs) no it's a lot of work to dive into some of these situations like the receivers in in los angeles like it's all after the catch and you know once you dive in and you see how the team's operating through the offseason another team that we didn't hit would be green bay who is a lot in the same uh painted a lot in the same light where there's just so many offseason actions that we have to follow and we have to parse all that information and read all these drops off the tea leaves so i I really enjoy doing that and i like to uh be able to do that work so other people don't have to for sure Mm -hmm. yeah yeah definitely a stellar breakdown man so nice work on that um and then one other thing i want to mention is that we actually have a new team member his name's joe so you can follow him on twitter at joe simonetti 77 joe i hope i said that right simonetti j-o-e-s-i-m-o-n-e-t-t-i-7-7 so that's a new member of the team he's going to be doing some editing work for us which is like an mvp role on the team i'm super excited to have him so Thanks for joining the team, Joe, and uh, all of our listeners. Make sure you go give him a follow. And then lastly, I would be remiss if I did not mention our sponsor. Our sponsor is Expand the Box Score, and we want to give them a shout out because they are an essential stats database for any fantasy player. Uh, We use their football bundle, which actually includes NFL and college football stats, but they got, you know, NBA, they got MLB, college basketball, they got minor league baseball. Um, So Expand the Box Score, they do exactly as their name says, they expand the box score tons of good stats on there so if you go you check out expandtheboxscore.com and you sign up for one of their packages you can use our promo code true north 10 to get 10 percent off there um, and the nfl and college football database that we look at that's only 35 bucks a year so you can get 10 percent off of that and um, you know in my experience that is a steal for what they offer so i also actually heard that they're doing a, a revamp of their website so we are stoked for that so expandtheboxscore.com and then true north 10 is that promo code yeah, and they're one of the rare sites where you where it's like ultra customizable. Like you can sort through weeks by weeks. You can sort through third downs, all these types of things, looking at situational breakdowns. And I'm a big believer in uh, assessing data that way, especially from the team level. So I, mm-hmm. I really like what they're doing at XDB there. And we know Andy Singleton, their fearless leader there, is a, a spectacular member of the fantasy community for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So we love them over at expandtheboxscore.com. And with that, we just want to give a big thanks to our listeners. You know, we couldn't uh, couldn't do it without you. We really like seeing the support. I was saying on the uh, British Ballers podcast how like humbling and, and cool it feels when people reach out to us on Twitter and ask for our advice. So uh, if you're listening and you ever have any questions, feel free to, you know, hit the DMs for Ty or myself or shoot us a tag in one of your questions and we, we'd be happy to answer that for you because feels pretty cool when people value our opinion so we want to thank everybody for that 
And uh, as always, check out the content at truenorthffb.com. We got some good written stuff going up. Ty and I have been working on some little projects here and there. And uh, True North's got their hands in some cookie jars. So stay tuned for, for what we've got planned. And thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Peace.